I'm 80. Yeah, so I'll be 37 in 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, because you, so you share a birthday with, uh, with my little one. Oh, so, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I think you told me that. Uh, because somebody came out, somebody came out and decided to tell everyone when my birthday was. And then I think <laughs> when I met you, uh, I think that was discussed. Yeah, I, th- I seem to remember we did a birthday video for you at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's coming up around the bend, and now we're on the upswing of 40. So, cheers. Yeah, you're years away. Years away from 40 yet. <laughs> You've gone from nearly thirties, uh, from your early thirties yeah. to your nearly forties. There you go. I'd say mid thirties still. It's mid thirties still. <laughs> mid thirties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're we're halfway. Um, when did I start? So it's been. I think I was around thirty when I when I started. Does that make sense? Yeah, 2017, 16, 17 ish mm, is when I started sense. producing videos and working with Jimmy and everything like that. Gosh, it's been a while. I was, I was looking up old videos and old photos and things like that because I've never really dove into uh, what Instagram keeps, which I found out is basically anything you've ever posted. Uh, I didn't know that. So I was just looking through a bunch of old stuff for funsies this morning. And I, some of this stuff is so old. And I have, you know, I got towards the beginning of it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's when the teepee thing happened at Jimmy's and I met. Oh my gosh, yeah. The first time, including uh like Laura and Jocko and, and Jackman. Berkey was there as well, wasn't he? I think. Yeah. First time I had met Berkey. Yeah, and then luckily got to see him at uh Maker Central and just have coffee with him every morning because we were the only two that were awake and at the hotel <laughs> when everybody else was still sleeping. <laughs> I love that guy. Well he's he's I mean, he's an early riser, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's, he's, he's up every day to see the dawn pretty much all year round, I think. I think so, yeah. yeah. He's just, I don't know. I wonder when he goes to sleep, because I've had I've had many a talk with people uh, where the discussion revolves around how early you get up or when do you start working in the morning. And, mm. oh, yeah, but you close it up around, you know, 5 or 6, and then you get to bed by 10 or 10.30. What's that like? <laughs> I'm still, I'm still doing the whole wake up at four or five o'clock in the morning because my brain wakes me up but i'm still not going to bed until after midnight usually yeah, it's, 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 it's when you meet o'clock. it's when you, you're still awake and you meet your yourself waking up that's what it is that's what yeah. it is i'm making coffee but the other one's still sleeping next to me and i gotta like you know nudge him awake say like, hey man the crossover can't back. happen yeah there you go <laughs> I mean, when I got back in town from uh, Maker's Camp recently, yeah, I had planned on pulling over and falling asleep somewhere. But by the time I got here, the sun was up or coming up. So I just made coffee and kept going. It's it's, it's really not, I'm not going to say it's healthy, but uh, yeah. It's it's fun to do that now and again. Now and again. It's when it becomes regular yeah. that it just yeah. gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh steve's here oh yeah see i clicked yeah, over the, in the comments chat. thing yeah now. steve he didn't hear us talking about how he's going to make an excuse for not recording no he didn't hear that no that was that was 
That was before we went live. Yeah, yeah don't worry. Yeah. He's, he's got no That's idea. Right. Okay, he won't hear about it. That's fine. We won't, <laughs> we won't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, tell him. Go on, tell him. <laughs> so, boys, it's been quite a while since I've chatted with you two. I mean, we had like two other idiots with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, last yeah. time. And I was at Anne's. That was a that was a yes. silly one. <laughs> yeah. But now here we are getting good. into I'm I get to luckily record right before uh everyone goes crazy for Halloween and boy howdy, yeah. have I seen all the, the maker community people that I feel like it's now become it's really ramping up what Halloween could or should be for a lot of people because it used to be you know, plastic costumes and all this stuff. And now everyone's putting a lot of time and energy into making really high quality, like yeah, spending the entire month making yeah. costumes. Uh, that's been like really a, fun. A friend of mine's a DJ and he, he often puts uh, like his speakers and things in his front garden and dresses everything up, you know, to be like a really mm -hmm. sort of spooky kind of, you know, graveyard type thing. And then when when the kids are walking up towards his door, he's he's then through his microphone, you know, doing all the spooky noises, or mm -hmm. you know, sat out the window just chuckling to himself, just, yeah. just watching all the fun. Mm -hmm. I did wonder if I was going to get. I mean, I'm so off the beaten path out here, and I'm not a hundred percent sure how trick or treating works, but I don't think I'm going to get anybody. I mean, my my closest neighbor is almost a mile away. And I, I, think I only okay. have the one. I'll probably be all right. I don't know. Maybe I'll throw a pumpkin out in the middle of the road just, <laughs> just to reinstate. Like no candy here. Just throw a pumpkin. Let it destroy itself. <laughs> I should go buy a pumpkin. That's what I like should a do. A trebuchet or something to, to just launch the pumpkin at the passing cars. There you go. That works for me. <laughs> I think it's on brand at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll a put cannon. the forge. Sure, a cannon. Yeah, I suppose. Do I have anything I could use as a cannon? I do. I do <laughs> have a piece of steel I could use as a cannon. <laughs> That's the spirit. Fire cannons all night. Well, I mean, Mythbusters eat the cannon out of a log. Just put some bands around the log. Board yeah, it out. I think it only, <laughs> what, did it only fire once, though, once they really ramped it up? Yeah, Pretty once much. or twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good for one. I wonder if I'll see any uh, strange things going on. I live close enough or earshot from the uh, Air Force Base that's over here. And there's always all kinds of weird stuff going on after dark. I have no idea if they would do something fun for Halloween. Um, but more often than not, you just see those, those weird parachute flares. Because they're doing mm. trial runs or Shmoody whatever. Shmoody flares, call we call them over here. Yeah. What is it? Shmooly flares. Shmooly flares. Well, yeah. they hang in the sky for about 45 minutes and they're bright as the sun. It's pretty cool <laughs> to see those. And then just strange noises and aircrafts that don't seem like they're real kind of fly overhead uh, periodically. So we'll it see. Maybe they'll do something. Exactly. Back and forth. Yeah. X, X, <laughs> Running straight kind of like lines <laughs> and then stopping <laughs> halfway. Yeah. It's really, it's really scary. <laughs> Don't see any kind of like weird green lights coming up from underneath, you know, things like that. Mm, not in a while. It's been a while. <laughs> You're not that close to Nevada, then. No, no. A couple hours. A couple hours will get me there. 
or, or, or 30 seconds in, in the kind of yeah, the right aircraft. Yeah. Ah, correct. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. I'll jump onto base, find whatever secret aircraft they have, and then fly it to Air 51, Area 51, and see if they'll let me in. It's like, oh, clearly you're from the other Air Force Base. Come on in. But I think I can top that off. You'd have to just land and then just ask them about what they're doing for Halloween. <laughs> hey, boys. How are we doing? I'm not interested in secrets. I just want to know what you're doing for Halloween. <laughs> Then I'll take off. I'll head back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can you imagine every 51 and Halloween? Yeah, but they were right laugh. Yeah. It would either have to be super strict and nothing is allowed at all, or they would just lean into it. <laughs> no, let yeah, no letting any visitors out just because it's Halloween. Yeah. Of like, course, it'd be John, perfect. John's in here saying he's watching the news tomorrow. Yep, that'll be me. Something weird shows up. Man shows up in pirate costume at Area 51. Live streams from Instagram. <laughs> What's up, guys? I found him. That'll be me. The one time it isn't Florida, man. <laughs> what would you even call me now? I've lived in so many states. I say that. Wait, I've only lived in four. I've lived in four states. That's not a lot. Oh, it's what two percent? Eight percent. Can't maths. Go for it. Yeah, but yeah. Went, numbers wave bye bye to under, me. Under eight. Yeah. The clock's changed. It's broken me. <laughs> That's my excuse. Um, I'm sticking with it. Yes. And it, so anyway. It's interesting, though, with, like you say, with the making, so, you know, so there are certain people within the maker community who kind of essentially their entire year revolves around one event, whether it's kind of Halloween. Yeah, so something like, I don't know, Van Oak props. Yeah, he, he pretty much majority of things he makes is stuff for Halloween. Yeah, it's, it, it's brilliant. It's amazing. And there's, there's, there's a couple of other channels, which I can't remember off the top of my head right now, mm-hmm. who kind of, yeah, yep. All we make is Halloween stuff. So they get pretty much all their views kind of October. And then that kind of sort of sees them over the year. But then they're kind of constantly just making stuff. It's like, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna make a few foam graveyard gravestones. We're gonna have the entire mm-hmm. gate high wrought iron made out of foam mm-hmm. gate right. for the churchyard. And then all the kind of things that go in it, yeah, the, the different trick things that are happening yeah have arduino controlled something so somebody's walking up it starts making creaky noises and hands appear out of the the full haunted house experience it is a i know there are places in the u.s you know they they make a a huge deal out of the haunted house season because they may start up towards um like middle of september even or late september They'll put the entire uh, month of September into all the prep work, rent out an old building, you know, make all the stuff for it. They've been making all the stuff for it all year long or whatever. And finally, they can come in and install. And then they put on the show for the entire month of October. You know, you go in every night. They have people coming through. Y'all get your scares and you pay your monies for your tickets. And then whatever, they just cycle that for a month or so. And they used to have those in Kansas City. And it was a big deal where I grew up. 
it was a big deal to go down to the haunted houses with your friends or maybe when you're 16 you go with your your new lady friend or your boyfriend and you hold hands in scary places in the haunted houses and it's it's adorable because it was an experience for 30 minutes that your parents are waiting outside in the car the entire time and you kind of get back in and go well that was was that worth 30 minutes and 50 dollars for the ticket i sure hope so but the culture that revolves around Halloween and the real scary stuff, I don't know, the gore, the blood, the, you know, getting your, your heart racing and all that kind of stuff. I don't know about you guys. I've never been a big fan of horror movies. Same, yeah. Like, I watched Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers growing up. My dad loves horror movies. He loves Every B and C list horror movie you've ever heard of, he's seen it. Yeah, I think he owns all of the Saw movies, which I don't know how many there are at this point. He loves them. At least 57, I think. <laughs> I think so. Um, it was never really my thing. It was never really my thing. So I love, hey, don't get me wrong. I love dressing up, right? Having a little fancy dress party. Fun times. It's been a while since I've done anything like that. But uh, again, going back to what Andy's saying... The amount of people that exist, especially since the maker community started to kind of grow, I see more and more people. It's, it's that broadening, right? Where you see Christmas starts going into the stores around like the minute Halloween's over. Yeah. It's like Christmas yeah. shit shows up. But now I'm starting to see it. Where it's, it's, like, it's already here June. in the UK. <laughs> yeah. June or July, people are like, can't wait till October. Can't wait till Halloween. You're like, wow, that's early fine though i mean make a really good costume at that point i caught myself looking at mandalorian costumes because that would be fun to do at some point and go full on for a mandalorian costume like no fun it would be it would be ideal no. to do it where you are as well because that, that kind of setting is a little bit you know, tatooine kind yeah of, it's got a little bit of yeah. that, that desert yeah. planet vibe yeah for sure it's interesting talking about like the the, the maker aspect of the Halloween side and specifically with those like haunted house experiences because um, my other half and a couple of friends are like big into that sort of side of it, even though it's, it's tiny in the UK by comparison to what you guys get out there. But we went to one a few years ago and they do like four kind of different scenes that you can go into and it's, mm -hmm. you know, like hay bales and a guy in like, you know, uh, overalls and running at you with a chainsaw and all, all <laughs> kind of thing or or like a, you know the, the kind of the um you know uh, meandering corridor into like uh, operating theater and you know all mm -hmm. the blood and guts dripping everywhere and that kind of thing you know it's 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 that kind of intense experience so there's lots of lots of people screaming and shouting and things like that and then i was just looking at all the scenes and like the, the guy running towards us with the with the chainsaw you know, sort of screeching away, and I'm like, "Oh, there's no chain on that." Oh, I wonder why. why they... so I've not been invited back since, weirdly enough. <laughs> if only I'd been that. Ob if I was that observant when I was a, a young lad, I remember that being the really. It was called the Edge of Hell. The Edge of Hell was the scariest haunted house you could go to, and the last room always consisted of a guy in a mask wielding a chainsaw, and had no chain on it. But I didn't know that. It freaked me right the hell out. The silly part about it is that you rode, they, they had this fake thing where it was like, oh, here's the stairway to heaven. It's your way out. But then there was a, a fun slide to hell. And that was where you were forced to go. Like no one could 
go up the staircase. You know, that was a silly joke. And then you rode a really fun slide all the way back down to the ground. So you got to end all your scariness with like a little bit of hoop wee. <laughs> Which I don't know if that was pre-thought by them. We're like, wow, we really just scared the hell out of everybody. We want to make sure that everybody has a fun time and doesn't leave here having nightmares or being terrified. Who's going to say no to a slide? A little fun <laughs> slide. <laughs> I want to give them credit and say that that was pre-thought, but it was also probably just the easiest way to get people out of there fast. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the, it's the speed element. I think is going to be critical there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shove them down the slide and it just gets them out of your way. That's it. Until, do you ever watch uh, A Christmas Carol where the creepy elf pushes Ralphie down the slide? That always scared the hell out of me. <laughs> when I was a little, when I was little, there's always a guy that just shoves him down the slide. That's so I found, I, found, I mean, I saw Jaws quite young. First time it was on TV. And that, I, I've seen it several times. It, and I think a couple of times as an adult. And I found that, it's, there's that scene, or there is a scene where a head appears. And I know it, yeah, the first time I didn't know. But the second and third time, I, yeah, I, kind of, I knew it was coming. I knew roughly when it was coming. Still made me jump. <laughs> yeah, it's still... But I think for me, the scarier films aren't things like the horror movies. It's the kind of sort of the stuff that could be real. It's like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. I am never, ever watching that film again. That is a seriously scary film if you think about it and realize that actually there's an awful lot of truth behind it. Mm-hmm. it, it that, that freaked me out for, for weeks after I watched that. I, but stuff I... like the, the slasher stuff is just boring really yeah well it started to just as i got older and got more into movies i realized that so much of it was just how much gore can we pump into this and maintain an r rating you know so more blood more practical effects that made it look like somebody's arm was getting ripped off or whatever it didn't really do it for me it and it's why i've kind of avoided the the genre for a while since i like cerebral films and like cerebral Mm. horror or anything that's kind of a mind F and those, I think you're right. The ones that tend to be a little bit more realistic or just, just twisting reality a smidge is where it starts to screw with me because then it's like, Oh, but what if that ever does happen? That makes me not want to go into the basement anymore. It's scary down there. (laughs) And I, you know, I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but going into my basement when I was a kid or my grandparents was the worst going into my grandparents' basement when I was a kid, was one of the scariest things I could possibly do. I hated doing it. I hated being out at night when all the lights were off. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the dark. Now I love the dark. I was born in it. But <laughs> I've accepted a lot of the stuff that I saw when I was young that I used to be scared of is just kind of unbelievable. And mm-hmm. and therefore, I can't really get engaged in it. I feel like, yeah. who was I talking to recently that saw the new Hellraiser movie? And they are like, eh, not so great. Didn't really like it. Whatever. It was their opinion. But I remember watching Hellraiser when I was little with my dad and being <laughs> scared out of my mind. And that was, you know, evil trapped in Pandora's box. So it's pretty unbelievable. But what they were doing mm. in that was, or even the early Freddy stuff where it was all nightmares. It happens yeah. in your nightmare and you can, you can die in your nightmare. That stuff was horrifying. Horrifying. And then it just became 
what's the creepiest way we can kill somebody or what's the most gory way we can kill somebody? Yeah, let's take the, the generic template of here's where the, the particular score changes so that you know something's about to jump out at you. And mm. it's all the, it's, yeah, it's just either a gore fest or, oh, well, something's about to jump out. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there, there it is. That's why movies like uh, Get Out, if you guys have watched Get Out, no. um, nope. it is it is so good, so good. But it's it has a lot more to do with uh, the terrifying nature of people, just how people are yeah. scary as hell. And it's it's Jordan Peele's one of Jordan Peele's movies. I just watched another mm-hmm. one of his recently that was uh, that was really good. I won't talk about that one though because I'm going to talk about it on our podcast and try not to spoil things twice. <laughs> Especially with Steve listening, he is. But he's just recommended the uh, the new uh, Del Toro series on Netflix. What? I thought Del Toro was doing Pinocchio. What happened? He's got another new thing uh, out. No idea. How busy is this guy? <laughs> Clearly, and I love I love his films for sure. But yeah, Jamie, Jamie, what do you, what's a scary movie? Like well, genuinely <laughs> scary to you. I think that the last movie that really had a like a visceral effect on me would have been Event Horizon. And I think because I was I was young. Very good. Very good. I think Al would agree with you on that one. Yeah. And like I was young and I watched it on my own in a dark room that was uh like a big kind of knock through you know, well, big for a British room that we had mm-hmm. um but with a, a real fire going and things like that so it was that kind of you know towards the end where things start actually getting hot on screen as well i was i was like you know putting the fire out and things because it was getting a little bit too hot and i was like that that actually had a like a, a noticeable visceral effect to me mm-hmm. but i think cerebrally um uh, jessica jones the tv show the netflix one really just as a as a thing that was horrifying to me was um david tennant's character that that the was purple man is very good yeah yeah and I, I think that that scares me more than just like a, a jump scare of someone coming at you with a knife because they're either going to get you or not you know it's, that, right that's just yeah but something that's like impossible to think your way around i think that 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 unnerved me more than any other kind of horror stuff Mm-hmm. I, I know that I I will always have a soft spot in my heart for The Exorcist because that mm. terrified me when I saw it and I've seen it a couple of a couple of times since and that still gets me because that's just it's just kind of breaking reality enough um, and then just all the lore and stories behind it and everything that happened with that maybe some of those mid to late eighties. Maybe it's nostalgia glasses, but Poltergeist still kind of gets to me, and I can still have my weird little, uh, oh, yeah, I used to be terrified of this thing or this thing. Um, recently, I also watched The Witch, which John D. Harvey called out just a second ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Robert Eggers, which I wasn't really following him uh, as a director, but he's starting to get put more into these kind of cerebral that's it's the kind of movies that he directs. I can't remember if he wrote that too or if he was a writer on it, but it was 
extremely mind bending. Because like mm-hmm. half of it, you can't tell if it is reality. And even if it's not reality, what's causing the people within this movie to do this? Also, one set piece, maybe two if you count the forest. And just the overtones and the aesthetic of it, the color grading, everything about it. It's fantastic. And it was early Anya Taylor-Joy when she was... Um, it had to have been one of her first things. She was a young, young lady in that. Um that was pretty mind bending. I don't know if it was necessarily scary, but I did like it. I did like that one. I think there's a difference there, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's, there are movies that kind of twist your mind and, and kind of, yeah, make you kind of think, whoa, what's happening there? Yeah, and how? And I find that from a couple of aspects here is like, how is that actually being made? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not big into cinematography and things but yeah sometimes you're thinking yeah yeah i can, I can still remember watching clash of the titans yeah harry Hunter yeah and his yeah. and, the, and the, the 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 skeletons they're thinking ow how is that happening? and yeah and then finding out how it happened yeah, because yeah. There, there were documentaries about that and kind of mm-hmm. going ah oh, yeah and it's just brilliant I mean, yeah it was, it was a lot of people still look up to him you know compare it to modern cinematography special effects it's it's rubbish but he mm-hmm. was cutting edge at the time. And mm-hmm. so it's that kind of twist your mind back. But then, then you get the kind of movies like, you know, the good story twists. It's like, you know, what's happening there? Why is that happening? Mm-hmm. And then I, I, you get the kind of, for me, you then get the horror stuff, the, 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 the gorse. Like, I, I generally get bored with it. And, and I used to really like action movies when I was younger. Which lots of action movies, yeah, in my sort of, teens early 20s most mm-hmm. of them now we go back and watch them again you kind of that was rubbish <laughs> yeah i just i've changed yeah i'm yeah 30 40 years older and they're just they're just not i, I prefer to watch maybe something that's based on reality now mm-hmm. in terms of an action movie mm-hmm. you know some of the stuff that comes out of here like out of afghanistan for example and the, the conflict there or yeah you know, to kind of or even the kind of you know world war Two or some of the other conflicts where you kind of sort of based on true stories and you're seeing yeah you know, the visceral nature of war mm-hmm. that i find some of that it's for me if you if you're scared the horror movie stuff yeah it might make me jump it might it i don't want to see just blood splattered everywhere just for the sake of blood splattered everywhere but the scary stuff for me now is the stuff where you're kind of going oh this this really happened <laughs> yeah, yeah this 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 yeah. is this is where you the see the, the, the horrors of man, the, the horrors yeah. of war. Yeah, because I mean, certainly a lot of the action movies, you take something like, yeah, uh, Predator. Yeah, mm. classic action movie, late 80s. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, jumping around with, yeah, big knife, big gun, rocket launchers. Yeah, things blowing up, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like complete and utter tosh. Yeah, it's just. Yes, it makes you jump. Yeah, you kind of oh, you know, what's what's, what's the killer? Oh, look how look how horrible that predator is, and etc. But you, you compare that against something like I don't know, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, we actually see you see. Yeah. Oh, look, there are hundreds of people marching onto that beach, mm-hmm. and oh, there are only dozens of people getting off that beach. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say that those are for two very different audiences, aren't they? The, 
that yes. you'd watch something yeah. like Predator for the escapism, for the 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 obvious lack of realism. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'd watch something yeah. like Second Private Ryan for that complete total realism, knowing that it is, you know, that kind of you know uh snapshot of reality almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you, do you consider Alien a horror movie or an action movie? Because that Aliens, movie, that movie Alien is, is a horror movie. Okay. Then. Yeah. But Aliens and Beyond, I think, would be more action movies. Fair enough. Once you put Ron Perlman in a movie, it kind of becomes an action movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I agree with that, though. I've you know I've seen Saving Private Ryan and I've seen Predator, but just comparing those two, yeah. The, the mentality that goes into kind of the like the prepping yourself to watch this. You know, like, I'm going to watch a thing that was very truthful. Yeah. This is based on reality. And yeah, it's Tom Hanks. So you just get into the acting prowess of all the people that were involved in it. And it's wonderfully mm. done. Cinematography is mm. beautiful and brilliant and horrifying all at the same time. And then they yeah, add that reality check of this happened. Maybe... You know, we don't know that these exact things happen. They came up with their own scenes, but oh boy! But the, so yeah, the, that, the, the, that's yeah, it might not be the exact thing that happened, but those things are based on reality. Yeah, I think that 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 is far scarier. Well, maybe that's why I like the middle ground so much. Why yeah. I can enjoy the middle ground where it is seventy-five percent reality with a little bit of bent reality and then it lives somewhere in that cerebral area in between where it, so we're not so talking the expendables here then what is it <laughs> we're not we're not talking the expendables here then <laughs> no <laughs> the reality check of our old action stars getting older does not need to happen <laughs> fine i can keep them in their little snow globe of like these 10 years of regret Given Jean-Claude Van Damme is just still a monster. That guy is, yeah. he's going to live forever, maybe. He's pickled, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, tell, I, mean, I, I tell you actually what's the stuff I can't watch anymore. Because it, it, it scares me now so much. That I can actually feel, I can, I'm almost quaking in my boots when I watch it. It's climbing movies. No, not the same movies, climbing films. So I, I mean, I used, to, I used to climb, and I used to, yeah, I, I used to have, don't have many more. Kind of, yeah, I, there used to be. Um, I'm trying to think what they were called now. There was a series of films released on VHS back in the sort of 80s and into the early 90s that were kind of just it was just yeah hour and a half of climbing, people climbing big routes in the states, in in Europe, whatever. I used to enjoy watching those, and there'd be some fun bits on it. There was, there was, there was a, there'd be lots of kind of heavy metal and kind of glam rock type music mm-hmm. to go with it, and yeah, you know, used to love it. And then when you kind of, yeah, you, know, you, you, I, particularly now with high def TV, yeah, rather than sort of great mm-hmm. VHS, and you've got yeah, you know, people climbing stuff, free climbing, yeah, Yosemite, for example, mm-hmm. and you've got these shots, and they're looking down, and you've kind of got people and it's just like i can literally more feel the vertigo yeah the vertigo yeah. now is just 
I can, I, I quake. I am literally quaking. Watch it. I, I can't watch it anymore. Free solo is worth watching. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen. I haven't seen all of it. I've seen bits of it. Mm. I haven't seen the whole thing, and I'd, I'd like to watch the whole thing. And I probably will watch the whole thing at some point, but it will probably have to be on the TV. So I've got a bit of distance. But if I watch it on like a laptop with a computer behind me, and it's just like I'm up close, I've got headphones on, and it's just like I'd go through the Whoa. house. What happened? I was watching a film. <laughs> Sorry. So what I'm what I'm taking away from this is that we need to get Andy a VR headset to just get the full immersive experience, and that that would be They're, ultimate horror for Andy. I'm not sure why they haven't had Alex Honnold do that because I feel like there would be enough people that would want to have that experience of being able to look around from his perspective. Oh, they would. Yeah. yeah. Why haven't they put a 360 cam on him yet? Does it throw his weight distribution off just enough where his <laughs> fingers can't quite grip that? I, th I, th I mean, he'd only have to drop a grade or two. It would still be, people would still be kind of, yeah, pooping their pants just watching mm. it. Well, I would. Um, yeah, watching it, if he just dropped a grade or two down, because he climbs at such a high grade. Yeah. And it's, yeah, no, it scares me now. I, I, I mean, I haven't climbed in, the last time I went climbing, probably about seven eight seven or eight years ago hmm. and that was just on an indoor well it was an outdoor wall but it was an indoor kind of style wall just outdoors mm -hmm. um and yeah i enjoyed that that's fine I, I didn't mind that at all but yeah being on a big cliff with big drops yeah. no rope no 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 i, I suppose the, the the kind of the parallel here from from your experience Andy, to to mine that is is seeing someone like a a boomer installing some software on their pc and just clicking next <laughs> next next, next, next. That, that's the kind of the the, the parallel for me in my experience that 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 makes me shiver and and you know freak out from my past experiences of uninstalling hundreds of browser extensions for people and things like that now we did we used to go climbing outside in arkansas because there's a there's a really nice it's called horseshoe canyon shaped like a horseshoe tons of routes all over the place nothing too tall um but the grade differential was uh broad right so we would wake up in the mornings and do very easy stuff just to get warmed up and then there was one called learn to fly and it was <laughs> it was because there was a 20 foot run out in between clips and so you clipped in and then you had a 20 foot diagonal shot that also started to go back like a roof and you had to make the clip that was up up here and if you didn't make it you fell it was a very safe fall because you were falling into nothing but you know if you'd never taken a 30 or 40 foot drop before it scares the hell out of you and i missed it yeah. and it was one of the most terrifying climbing experiences i've ever had and they're like it's fine you're not gonna hit anything you're gonna fall straight down no big deal but it's such a far drop that you have this moment mm -hmm. of just something hasn't like i'm supposed to get caught by now is going through your head you're like there's no way i can still be falling and have the rope still attached to the wall something is wrong and you have that much time before it actually catches you to think that over uh and then just it's, it's the speed of the thought then isn't it yeah yeah and you, you're working on the kind of accelerated speed of thought and on something like that as mm -hmm. well but yeah it's yeah when stuff like that happens it is i try i'm not I've, 
I was I had a few scary moments when I was climbing. Not it'd be things like you the person you're climbing with just isn't as good as they said they were, or they're you you you're getting bits of rock falling around you. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, it's it starts to rain and it's already slippy rock even when it's dry because it's in the kind of mm-hmm. yeah, in the shade. Yeah. And it starts to rain, it's like we're going to die. <laughs> I feel like we had a couple of moments where somebody was a little overzealous, climbed a bit too far, conditions started to be not so great, and then we did the maths on how much rope was left. Because we're like, well, if they're low enough, you just drop them through the uh, carabiners, you know, and they hit the ground, and then you just pull the other side through. No big deal. And if it's your gear in the wall, come back and pick it up later. But... There were a couple of times where somebody climbed too far. We, we can't lower you the whole way. So we'd have to come up with ideas to like down climb slightly, like, you know, put new gear in the wall or something and then pull it through and then retie and all these things. And it gets at that point, it's just so hectic because you're racing the clock. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I can't finish this thing. I'm too tired, but I can't be lower to the ground. But what needs to happen is about 10 minutes of down climbing work with untying and retying and making sure that I don't drop my rope because then at that point I'm totally stuck in the middle of the wall. I only did that once where I got, I got stuck in the middle of the wall and we ended up having to, one of the guys had a, it was during an event, he had a t-shirt cannon and they tied a rope to a t-shirt and shot it out of the cannon and I had to catch it on the wall. And then I had rope fed to me and then I could lead myself back down the wall. That was a little, uh, it was a bit much. I, I can imagine that's really difficult because you're getting more and more fatigued the longer you're there as well. Yeah. It's yeah. that reliance on someone else to just kind of come and help. Yeah. We also didn't know if that was going to work. We we're just like, in theory, <laughs> we'll make it to you. Okay. We kind of had ideas at that point. But yeah, I've seen. You know, going back to what we were kind of originally talking about with the movies, I feel like the real life horror stuff that I've seen, it will. Maybe that's also added to me not really getting that scared and not really seeking out horror films anymore. I'm like, I've seen, I feel like I've seen worse than that. I've experienced worse than that stuff that's more terrifying, yeah. scarier, stays with yeah. me longer. I mean, if you've done your taxes or things like that, that's. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's not get too deep here. Thanks for the <laughs> thanks for alleviating any of that too deep stuff. But you're right. Taxes. Do taxes be, when you're being self-employed. An <laughs> Send them to your tax person and have them tell you what you owe the government. And then you go, oh, that's a horrifying yeah. feeling. I think, like you're going to say, though, is that it's just that kind of that life experiences in general. I think then takes the edge off a lot of the horror movie stuff. And I think that, that kind of being curious the way makers tend to be as well, that, that kind of removes another layer because you, you're looking at practical effects and looking at how they've done that and what's, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, there's, there's a change in the audio and the light, I've noticed the lighting's gone a bit moodier and things like that. And mm-hmm. oh, I've missed the jump scare because I was looking at the bit of cabinetry on the wall or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had to go through. You're right. 
Oh my gosh. And I didn't even tell you guys, I went through jury duty this week. Yes. I did ah. civic duty. And yeah. I went through jury duty. And I can't talk about the details legally. It was horrifying what this case mm. was about. Because it was reality. Yeah. And what was going on with the people that were in that case was horrifying. And I would not wish it upon anybody. And mm. there were there was family and kids involved and stuff. It was terrifying. And I was I was finding myself distracted or trying to distract myself by looking at like the laminated wood benches in the court because I was like, I just don't <laughs> want to think about this. And these benches are terrible. I can't believe they don't have the funding to make these out of solid wood. But yeah, I, I think I just get distracted or I find ways to kind of distance myself from that. Obviously, Coping I have an active choice. Yeah, exactly. And even though I was forced to listen to this thing all week, it was really like I have to know that things like that exist. Mm. And I these are things I've seen in films or TV shows where you go, oh, that's a bit. I mean, that seems a bit like over. They, they kind of overdid it a little bit. That can't be real. No, you just sat through yeah. cases where, you, where everything was real. Mm. There was evidence of things. I saw a video that terrified me and really made me upset. So, yeah, I think that's why I watch uh, sci-fi and fantasy stuff more than anything. <laughs> or yeah, it's, it's animated it's reality. <laughs> yeah. And I know we've talked about this before, even on our podcast, but, you know, Al and I have had plenty of chats and even Red, I know Red just showed up. Red and I talked about movies. That's kind of one of the things that got us friendly with each other as we were talking about um, films mm -hmm. and I started to realize that th I wouldn't actually call it a pattern in the stuff that I watch, but I am a sponge for new media, you know, mm -hmm. film, movie, TV show. Otherwise, like I want to know that there's something good out there I haven't heard of. And now that there's so much of it all the time and I, I can't turn a movie on while I'm, you know, in the middle of the forge because I want to actually mm -hmm. pay attention. I'm a bit overwhelmed by how many things I want to go and watch and experience because yeah. you guys yeah. know this, but even since I first started, something will spark a bit of uh, uh, creative thought, you know, or, or something will inspire me to try out brass for the first time because I saw something in a movie made out of brass or... Well, Adam Savage just put up a video recently. He's going, he's in this props place and they're looking at all these props from all these old movies and they have the Book of the Dead from The Mummy. Yeah. And it's all brass, etched brass or bronze. And he's like, I had no idea it was real and it's super heavy. And he's like, yeah, it's actual, you know, brass or bronze. And the pages are on this crazy hinge system. I thought it was a fake you know, just mm -hmm. made out of foam or something like that. No, it turns out some of those hero props are very, very real because it gives yeah. the actors something to react to. Yeah, yeah. and I remember so, that scene where they first flip it open and it's, it's got that like, big thud. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to be able to watch all of this stuff and the escapism doesn't really hit me with horror movies or even the cerebral mm -hmm. stuff that we've been talking about. John, if no one else has seen this, John could attest. There's not really anything in The Witch that I would want to rebuild uh, or try to make. It's it's not that kind of movie. Mm. And I find that the horror movies that I do like 
there's not a lot of props or anything in them. It's it's I tend to like the lighting or the cinematography of it. It's yeah. It's when I get into fantasy or some action movies, yeah. Um animated stuff. I really like animated stuff because the rules of physics don't really apply to them. So can you yeah. make something out of a video game or an animated film because then the challenge is to like how how can you recreate that thing? So I think that just adds to me kind of I know we've just been talking about horror movies and stuff like that, but it it pushes me towards what I actually get inspired by, which is uh, fantasy or things that aren't reality and then trying to make them real, trying to bring them into the real world. I think that's that's really common for like engineers who love sci-fi as well. You know, the you know the, the generation of you know engineers, you know our sort of age range, who are now trying to make things. Like out of Star Trek, or mm-hmm. you know, like tricorders and things like that. That you know, that, that are fantasy props from sci-fi that mm-hmm. trying to make them an actual, real, tangible, functional device rather than like communicators. Yeah. Well, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're never going to be that small. <laughs> Spark, I need you to beat me up. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like um, the Fifth Element is still one of those movies that, as sci-fi goes, uh, I love Bruce Bruce Willis and such a wonderful Mila film. film. Jovovich, and, and mm. the practical effects, the cinematography in it. Gary Oldman also fantastic in that movie. Hell, uh, that was when you still had Chris Tucker. Tucker, yeah, Chris Tucker was still in his heyday making movies. Yeah. The whole cast of that movie, and then if you actually, it's Luke Besson, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Luke Besson, Mr. The Professional, or Leon, goes and makes Fifth Element, which is, like, I remember seeing The Professional and loving it, and then I saw this other Luke Besson film, which was so polar opposite of what The Professional was, <laughs> and it had, you know, when he's holding the, the gun with all the 50 different features on it or whatever, and Gary Oldman's taking everything through it. There's a master prop of that. I think uh, Adam Savage did something on that too. But yeah, he's, he's there were some moving yeah, the, parts. The and he, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. There's a ton in the cinematography that is um, computer generated back then because it was cheaper and easier for them. But they were still in that time of let's not go too far. Car interiors, yeah. all the car interiors were still real. People still interacted with things. Um, you know, they had the taxi cab on a rig and were tilting it and moving it and all that stuff so that they could both kind of get tossed around during the cab scene. Um, that movie still stands. I think it was all, I think it was all, all the matte painting was done by, I think, Charles Darby, I think, who did Which is things like, like matte Titanic painting. and, yeah, yeah, and, and just like all of the best. You know, like massive uh, films was just like all done by this one dude on like Photoshop four on this yeah. knackered old Mac. You know, <laughs> I'm still fascinated by. They don't have to necessarily be new because now we're pressing up against CGI being good enough to be passable or deep fakes mm. to make you know actors younger or older or people that aren't with us anymore are now still in movies, you know, cause they've taken enough head scans of them. It's mm. 
it's more difficult for me to watch sci-fi or action or anything that's kind of otherworldly with a ton of CGI in it nowadays because we still have the understanding that it's not real and something about that kind of breaks for me. Like I watched all the Marvel films. I'm, I was a comic book kid growing up, so I still like watching them, but you know, I had more than a handful of people go, you have to make Thor's hammer. I'm like, eh, like everybody's making Thor's hammer. It is just a big block of steel and it's got some designs and stuff in it, but that was never really all that intriguing to me. Whereas, uh, the key, the little like brass key that he holds to go into the pyramid and fifth element, you know, where he's like, take this yeah. and whatever. That little key is very beautiful and intricate and small and dainty. That would be more fun for me to try and recreate, which I think would just be a jeweler's saw and some brass and patience. <laughs> so I don't really get to hammer anything. No filing. Yeah. But there's movies so many movies and video games like i still have it in me i will make every piece of zelda kit i possibly can <laughs> at some point that's just like an ongoing journey in my life that i will make a master sword and a shield and some boots and i gotta make iron boots i gotta make iron boots just so i can trudge around them trudge around in them and then shoot some like fake underwater scene with them and then I think the, the once you've got that full kit, I think you're going to have to go and hide 900 Koroks around the local area. <laughs> I do really want to do that. And there was some mass production company who was making really good little Koroks. They're, I don't know. They're actually pretty substantial. They look to be about the same size as they would in the game um, relative to link size. Uh, they were selling them for just just a bit too expensive for me to go but if i bought a hundred of them you're like well <laughs> that's quite a substantial amount of money um and what the hell are you gonna do with them but it would be funny to just start making koroks you know next week and then just see how long it takes to get to 900 hand forged korok seeds <laughs> Small golden poops everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. you just have to brass them. Do do them as a you know be a actually. You know what? I'm sure there's got to be a pretty easy jig that you can make for a little dollop like that. It's just forging a taper on like one end and then just curling it around. And yeah, and then you brass it. Which I bet I could. I bet I could set up some kind of mass production thing where we've got like two brass wheels. Yeah, facing each other a, and I can just, like, about them through. just spins them. There you go. <laughs> and then just spits them out the other side. I, I like this idea. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to need to call this one early. I got things <laughs> to make. You're kind of like a rail gun, just, just placing them like these hot, hot little it's good. turds in it's at one good. end that just send out these brass nuggets at the other. Yeah, there uh, you go. If you want to spread them everywhere, I mean, you could just have it on a bit of a table, change the <laughs> angle, and yeah, just each one just fires into a different location. And that's it. Everybody, good luck in the desert. It gets very hot out here. Now you're pulling hot poops out of the sand, which is even worse. <laughs> yeah, you might have to wait to see how long they cool to, to cool down to make it mm -hmm. practical. Yeah, funny. Well, the first few people finding them could go, the "Oh, sand. look, it's great." Oh, now I've got a scene from Indiana Jones. I was about to say that. Now you've got the, we have the map. 
Oh, like, one of the best be props. One of the best props in a movie is is from that movie, and it's the hanger that he pulls out in front of her. And you think it's a, a weapon or a torture device, and then he goes click click click, and it's a little hanger for his jacket, and then he hooks. That's still one of the best little props. I know it's probably real. They probably made those somewhere, you know, for people traveling to have this like breakdown hanger. Yeah. But I remember seeing that when I was a kid and going, how'd they make that? My dad like, oh, it's just on chains and it just attaches together. I'm like, right. But why aren't all hangers made like that? It's a brilliant <laughs> idea. Think of how much space those things take up. Yeah. And then you just have this long little rope with some chains in it. Still one of the best props. Don't know why I haven't made a bunch of those. That's, that's item two on the to-do list. <laughs> I got to make 900 poops. Then I've got this clothes hanger to do. Jamie, I got to start taking take, notes, take note. man. Yeah, take a note. <laughs> I mean, is there is there a film, show, any piece of media, video games included, is there something on either of your guys' kind of bucket list of, in terms of tech or... I don't know, physically making a thing from one of these pieces of media that you're like, one day, just before I completely mm. hang it up and I can't do it anymore, I want to know that I've made this thing. It doesn't have to be substantial. Just a thing that you've never made yet. That could be a long list. Yeah. I think, For I'm you, Andy, I, I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. I can, I can definitely think of a few things. But yeah, I, I, I spoiled my A-levels playing Elite ah. when it first came out. Right. And yeah, the idea of having something like a, a Cobra simulator to play the modern version of Elite. Yeah, just completely enclosed, get in. Yeah, I mean, that would be a hell of a build. There's no way my wife would let me do it. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would be fantastic. I mean, that, that, that'd be kind of big scale. I mean, yeah, not as big as building, yeah, Serenity Firefly. Yeah, that, that, that's going a bit yeah. far. If, uh, Cos if I was gonna go down a cosplay at some point, always fancied the idea of building a still suit. And I'm thinking the original Dune. I still haven't mm -hmm. seen the new one yet. I kind of don't want to wait till the next one's out because a lot of people tell me, yeah, it's like part one, part two, but I, I, I may at some point. But a still suit. Yeah, a still suit with the cape, little nose clip. Yeah. I mean the, the new still cool. suits are are very, very they are nice. Yeah. The old um, I, the old ones are fantastic. The new ones I mean, they do. They're, they've taken it to a new level. Yeah. But, but the yeah. old ones were good. The old yeah. ones were good. But, uh, yeah, that, that was... I grew up on that one. Yeah, that, that was kind of... Yeah, fantastic film. Mm -hmm. And there, there are bits from that film, yeah, that just, yeah, some, the knives, a couple of, a couple of the knives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just amazing. Yeah, the, the, the guns, the, the the box of pain. I can't remember what it's called now. But, yeah, all mm -hmm. those kind of... There's some just amazing little bits. Mm -hmm. You kind of go, oh yeah. It's the only reason I would push you to watch the new one is just yes, I know there's going to be a, a part two and you have to wait. But you mentioned for a second there that you're not necessarily paying all attention to the cinematography, but that movie, regardless of how you feel about Dune or how close it was to the book or the original, whatever, cinematography in that movie is yeah kind of mind boggling. They did a I mean, the, some of the clips I've seen, yeah, some of the clips I've seen, definitely, definitely it's on the watch yeah. list. Um, and then, yeah, the, I mean, I'd love to make the the blaster. I, I know it's been done a thousand, no, 10,000 times probably. Yeah. Uh, 
solos. It's got his name. No, the blaster from um, Blade Mandalorian. Runner. Oh, Blade no, Runner. Oh, ah, yeah, right. Yeah. Deckers. 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 That's I couldn't. Deckers. Yeah. D was on tip my head, but I couldn't get the, <laughs> couldn't get the rest of it out. Yeah, Deckers. Deckers blaster from Blade Runner. That's um, yeah, just—it's iconic. It is. There, there has been a, a particular kind of bucket list prop item that's that's always just been slightly out of reach for me, and it is a it is a, a weapon. But if, um, one of the bad guys from Triple X with Vin Diesel. Um, Where is has, this going? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Kirill has this gun that is it's a, a it's a Sig P220 Sport with like a big ridiculous barrel extension and the big scope on the top. So it's a handgun that he's kind of using like a sniper rifle, mm-hmm. and that's always stuck in my head as a as a really weird iconic prop that I just like. I, I periodically do searches to try and find if there's 3D models of it or even just 3D models of that particular gun that I could then modify to look like, you know, and that, that's been kind of on my, you know, kind of bucket list as a, as a movie prop for a while. I think I'll have to, at some point I will do Mal's, uh, Mal's gun. Cause it's just, it's like aged brass and, yeah. you know, you don't have to really make it function cause it takes these like new tech, you know, charge bullet things. You only see him reload a couple of times, but it would be pretty simple. Just as a master that just looks nice and goes mm-hmm. in a holster. That's it. At some point I will do something like that. Turns out my the guy that I go and forge with sometimes out here, he just got a lathe. So that was the hardest part. I was like, do I just buy hex stock? Because it's got a hex barrel. Close, and yeah. Like, but I have to drill that out, and I tried looking to at a million different places if anybody made tube hex tube right yeah. with the right thickness, and you're like, absolutely not. So mm. I'd have to drill that out just to have the look correct. But it turns out he's yeah. got a lathe. So now, now it's like, oh well, there's yeah. nothing really stopping Doable me from there. doing that. We could, but you know, life, not, <laughs> not what Jeff Goldblum said. Life gets in the way sometimes. It will find a way, but life gets in the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little intrigued too by, I think video games have some of my favorite, um, mm. some of my favorite props and, and little things that I'd like to do. I mean, I already listed off the Zelda stuff, but there's even games that feel like they're kind of set in reality that just have really good aesthetics. Like, I don't know if anybody in the chat right now or if you guys have but far cry always has really cool stuff going on it was yeah. like artifacts and props and stuff you know it's got a lot of that indiana jones vibe to it but i don't know you need the old laura croft stuff too like back then laura croft when it's all just big chunky polygons <laughs> like and you're like yeah. what if i made a nice <laughs> one of that yeah <laughs> what about the things like prince of persia or assassin's creed or Oh, the sand knife would be really, really neat. Oh, that would be really good. And I'm thinking the the very first one that came out in like the new generation, where they actually showed mm. how the knife went in and like pulled out the sand of time. That would be a really fun one. No one's done that. Why hasn't somebody made a Damascus that? There we go. Uh, there's third thing for your list. I'll yeah. put it on the list. 
Put it on the list. <laughs> well, if, really we, like we've, we've mentioned film. We've mentioned film and and video games. There, what about anything mm. from TV? I think a TARDIS, but done up in yeah. a style. I <laughs> I know it's the big blue box, and it, definitely for you know they made such a such an explosion of the big blue police box in in the resurgence, but. I'd like to do one that was just kind of more my style and make it black and put brass accents all <laughs> over everything. It's like, yeah, it's still a TARDIS. It's just that if I was the doctor, that's what it would look like. doesn't look like any police box you'd necessarily want to walk into, but that's the point. Yeah. And that then would be cool. I could learn a little bit about the tech because I know it can't be that hard, but actually snap and have it open in its door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was more of a fan of the tenant. Like, I liked Matt Smith. I liked what Matt Smith did with it, but I was a big David Tennant. His run at the series was some of my favorite. And Heidi was nice enough years back. She 3D printed me a couple of different sonic screwdriver styles that I could, like, mix match together. And, um, you know, I used one as a prop, I think, in the video right before I went to MC. But I think... If I learned a little bit more machining, it would be really cool to make a sonic screwdriver that was just something stylistically mine. I'd, but... I'd like to do a machine. Don't I mean top my I mean my book there, my red book there okay. contains some of my lists of projects, and there's a stack of them, Hoovian based. Mm. So there's it, the, it yeah. looks that thick, but it's actually oh, it's, like it's that bigger long. inside. Yeah, it's bigger inside. <laughs> um, Hopefully. Yeah, there's yeah, a TARDIS would be great. Obviously, that's quite a big thing to do. Yeah, you can yeah. always do some of your TARDIS door frames and things like there that. There you go, that's it. Um, but yeah, K9, Dalek, sonic mm. screwdrivers. But I want to make functioning sonic screwdrivers so they actually do things. So yeah. it's not just a case of it's something, oh, and it lights up. I actually kind of, yeah, want to be able to use it maybe with something like a RFID. RFID and, yeah, and kind of, yeah, oh, look, it's just opened that thing. That would be so cool. I- has anyone done a sort of because obviously the other you know the the other nerd culture thing that is a cylindrical object that is unique to each holder of it is the um the lightsaber so has anyone done a kind of a lightsaber sonic screwdriver hybrid yet because that would be a fantastic cosplay to do as like you know that would like be cool. a, do- a doctor yeah. with but with a full robe jedi robe and Oh my gosh, Sith Lord Doctor! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah, Doctor Vader. But he's what? still just really cocky. Like instead of being dark and menacing, he's just really cocky because he knows more than everybody else. So he just walks in there <laughs> acting the exact same way. And they're like, "He's extremely dangerous. He's from the dark side." And he's just like, "Dark side, light side, whatever it doesn't matter. I'm just smarter than all of you." Wibbly wobbly Metaclorian stuff. Janie thinks you should make the frying pan from Tangled. I don't know what Tangled is. Darth who? There it is. John nailed it. <laughs> I think yeah, that, that, that just gives me a thought. Yeah, you could, I can just sort of think, yeah, 10 years down the line, yeah, Doctor Who, and there's kind of like crossovers to Star Trek, Star Wars. Yeah, just having crossing over into anything based anywhere in the universe. It's like, you could have, yeah. MCU, yeah, kind of, yeah, somebody Thanos is coming down to sort of sort things out again, and Doctor Who turns up and goes, Yeah, no, we're not having any of that. Yeah, go away, go, go away from Earth. I look after Earth. 
That's not as good. All right, I'm off. I always kind of wondered if anybody had ever put together. Uh, I know I've seen some little memes or some little graphs that people have kind of fake put together of like who's the most powerful, uh, mm. you know, uh, pop culture hero that we have. I would like to see where Doctor Who sits on that. You know, it's like I don't know. Thanos had the gauntlet; he snapped half the people out of existence. It's like, yeah, he needed a gauntlet. Doctor's got a sonic screwdriver; does everything. He's like one universal wars plenty of times or like defended earth on multiple uh levels he's gotta be up yeah. there right yeah i imagine so yeah i mean if you've got you know a billionaire playboy philanthropist in a in a suit you know some <laughs> and he just goes like this and the whole suit turns off Oh, what are you? What are you powered by again? A micro reactor? How quaint! How quaint! Just shut it off. Yeah. That'd be, that'd yeah. Be what about great. TV shows, though? Yeah. So Jamie, what TV shows? What you got? Again, I mean, it's it's. I'm a big Trek nerd, so any of the stuff from Star Trek, I'd, like, I'd love to have like a functioning tricorder. The, the closest I've sort of got is a, a thing called a Flipper Zero. Which is kind of part Sonic screwdriver, part tricorder, I suppose. You know, you can do all sorts of stuff in it. It's got loads of sensors and things, and it's kind of mm-hmm. step towards that kind of uh, total nerdery. But I, I love, you know, anything like the um, cybernetic sort of stuff. One of my kind of goals for the next year or two is to do a headcast oh, uh, yeah. of mine, of, so I can do like prosthetic stuff. So I, I, we've been watching. Um, Star Trek Lower Decks recently, it's the sort of animated series, mm-hmm. and the one of the engineers in there has got this sort of cybernetic augmentation of this, like you know, kind of eyepiece. Um, I'd love to make something like that, uh, or you know, like fitted, you know, leatherwork things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff like that. Not gimp mask type stuff, but more like you know, <laughs> Borg. Yeah, exactly. Something that's a bit more, you know, nerdy rather than the other side. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's why of... I want to do the Mandalorian stuff because the challenge of making fitted pieces. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've just never really done that before. I mean, even the the Link costume stuff that I did, it's it's not really fitted. It's not really made specifically for me. Most of it's just kind of generic, or I just bought a set of gloves and you know made them brown but i would like to do more fitted pieces and try my hand at actually doing um you know al and i were talking about me doing the uh full melt alchemist stuff with him it's just mm. i know it's been forever it's not like it's left my head i still know that i want to do that at some point and i'm making myself feel guilty even talking about it but i'm supposed to make the entire arm for ed big metal arm and make it fit me. And I don't know how I'm going to deal with comfort levels. And, you know, I think at the time when we were talking about it, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can pull that off. And I kind of got a few reality checks after that. It was like, I don't, <laughs> I think I have to try some more stuff or practice a little bit more before I just start cutting pieces out, yeah. rolling edges, you know, and making things comfort fit. How the hell am I going to grind all these things? Okay. Well, now I have a belt grinder, 
back then I didn't. So it was all going to be a flap disc on an angle grinder and I didn't trust myself mm-hmm. very much. And then just the metal forming metal. You know, I love blacksmithing for the idea of being able to reshape a rigid material, especially when it comes flat. But yeah. if I can make a Mandalorian armor or anything that fits me and fits my body that I've made by hand, especially if it was steel or even brass or bronze or something fascinated by that. And I feel like the challenge alone is, is worth the attempt. Most yeah, likely going to fail. Th- those kind of armor type things, the um, le- leather plate armor is kind of stuff that's on, on the list to do at some point. Um, but even doing mail, I'd love to have a go at, at making some sort of chain mail type thing. Um, probably not out of steel, but I'm not no, sure. I can pull the 50 pound mail hauberk I have. It's right here. It's right in this. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm thinking something a, a little lighter. I, I used to have a, a bracelet that was, um, it was like three runs. So it was a, it was a run of steel uh, in the center. And then, it, like, uh, either side of that was uh, two layers of rubber. So Ooh. it was. It was, it, yeah, it's really, really cool. So it's got that kind of flexibility and, and stretch to it to, to, you know, go over your hand as a bracelet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just a really nice difference in being, you know, uh, these little tiny uh, rubber rings mm-hmm. to make the mail up. Oh, I'd love cool. to do something like that. Super cool. I know it, it costs a bit more because of the production of the pieces, but they have the um, riveted chainmail links. Mm. That yeah, they're just they're more expensive, but it's because you can open them. They they come pre-made yeah. with a little hinge in the middle. You know, there's there's two or three actually on this piece that I have. And P.S. I found it on eBay, being sold by somebody's mom that didn't know what they had. That just sold it as metal shirt. <laughs> and if you guys have ever looked Amazing. into how much chainmail clothing costs, it is astronomical. Yeah. Especially shipping yeah. it is crazy. Um, I got it for like the same price as a t-shirt basically. Um, and this was like six or seven years ago. And I just, I couldn't say no. I had like absolutely no money to be spending on dumb stuff like that, but I knew I'd never find one like that again. And actually it's going to wear out. (laughs) Correct. Under the, I think it's stainless too. Like it's never rusted. So it's probably stainless. So even more expensive, but right underneath the armpit area, there are some of those rings and I think they're, they are there specifically to, if you need more movement, you can we'll remove reach, them yeah. and it just kind of opens a seam and mm-hmm. then you can close them back up. Uh, I got away with a literal steel that day. Um, <laughs> the steel I feel kind of bad about it, but I still use it. So like, you know, I, it probably was going to get chucked into a garbage can somewhere and I rescued yeah. it off eBay. For metal shirt <laughs> it's a hundred percent a real like very well-made hobbit hold on hold on hold on i love those kind of there's a whole like subset of people who who don't search for the proper terms for things and they, they just yeah. generate all those kind of weird obscure things that that other people will list stuff as and and also searching for misspellings yeah absolutely i hope everybody can hear 
All the fun sounds, but like, look, it's a full shirt. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's really well nice. done, and it weighs 45 pounds. <laughs> and it, 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 it's, it's like a string vest. So perfect, it's perfect for Joshua Tree weather. Yeah, it really is. I've worn it out plenty of times just to go do the grocery shopping. You know, I just, <laughs> it's a conversation piece. More than anything. I, just, I don't doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> the looks I would get. Oh my God. <laughs> I'd be better off wearing anything from the Mad Max universe. That that would play really well out here. I mean, there really are just uh, desert weirdos out here aplenty. <laughs> the Interceptor from the a... Mad Max. That's another one on my list. Yeah, the original Interceptor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just such a gorgeous car. Yeah. Yeah. I would... Uh, Red said Mithril. I do think if you had so much patience... To be able to do very, very fine, very small chain mail like that out of mm. you know, platinum, something ridiculous, you know, something just completely outrageously priced. But if you like can money, there, no object kind of. Yes, money, no object, it. just being able to make a yeah. beautifully woven piece of mithril. It'd be really good to do because the, the part of the platinum family is uh, iridium is in that kind of the, the, yeah. the ore. So it'd be really cool to do that kind of like platinum iridium kind of uh it'd be super super expensive and absolute nightmare to do um unless you put the lead out as well it would weigh an absolute ton but mm. that would be you know if you if money was no object and you just got a group of jewelers together and said right okay make me this <laughs> i feel like you know at some point at some point somebody's gonna have some crazy windfall where one of us, one of us in the extended family crew of makers is going to be able to do something really stupid like that. Mm. This is like, hey, hey, this isn't me. I'm not going out and buying cars. I'm not going out and buying a mansion. But I did spend $10,000 on a piece of mithril chain armor. Don't yeah, be mad at me. It looks really cool. I'll bring it to all the events. stuff for my friends. It's fine. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I'm thinking titanium, uh, yeah, and then anod- an- anodize it because you can anodize titanium different colors. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, essentially, it's an oxidation process, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So you could almost have it so it's different colors, different portions. Mm-hmm. I would like to look good. Chainmail. <laughs> I mean, I could steal. I could put yeah. steel blackener on this thing, and it would hold up for a while. Until it all starts moving and rubbing around, but yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, going back to the Mandalorian <laughs> thing, sorry. So, when I was thinking about the Mandalorian thing, I know everybody's doing you know the Beskar stuff where it's all high polish, and then the, mm. we've seen people making the Damascus stuff and having it be Beskar steel. I would, I would absolutely do black and brass and just have this very looming armor like kind of blackened armor and stuff and any of the small details that would be brass or bronze color including the main section of the mask like i would have it would be black but then just the face mask part would have to be bronze or brass because i feel like that would look menacing as hell i feel like it's a little bit of a little bit of a flex right where you show up and you're like what a 
fancy boy with your gold mask on <laughs> nuke somebody from a mile away with a blaster. He's so fancy with his gold armor. Okay. Okay. I think that would be the testament to it if it stayed that color as well. It's like, you know, it's, it's like boxes with big noses. You know, you kind of, if it isn't all mashed and gnarled, then they must have either not boxed very much or been very, very good. Yes. You know, if yes. you've got that, you know, kind of beautifully colored armor that isn't scratched to shit and isn't, you know, colored, covered in dents and things mm -hmm. like that. I think it was a really nice decision for them to make because since Beskar is so durable and so tough, mm. they can just reuse this like really nice high polish stuff to get these beautiful scenes with re reflectivity and you yeah. know all the lighting that comes in or whatever. It's a really smart decision because for a long time there, it used to be like, let's make everything darker and grungier, especially in the Star Wars universe. The pristine stuff was only for Coruscant, you know, and any of the Jedi temples and stuff. So everything else needed to look dirty and scratched up and old. This yeah. choice that they made with him where it's like, he has really good armor, but he basically had to fight for it or kill for it. But you also can't really tarnish it or hurt him. It, you know, reflects blasters and ugh, whatever. Best episode of that show. Have you guys seen that show? Yeah. Both of you? Some of it. Not seen okay. all of it. The best episode of Mandalorian to date was when Ahsoka Toa showed up. Mm. It is an homage to Kurosawa Spaghetti Western, old samurai flicks. It's the best yeah. episode. One of the best episodes of television, if we want to call it television with all these streaming platforms. That episode <laughs> still is just, whoosh, it just lights out for me. I love the aesthetic, the vibe, what they did with her. Rosario Dawson absolutely slayed that part. Yeah, absolutely. But how do you... People for so long were like, how can you make her real? Like, we're never going to be able to see her or anything because those head flaps are going to look weird or they're going to get in the way. Or like, how do you make somebody with that skin tone not look fake? You know, mm -hmm. even though there's aliens and stuff like that. It was a really big push for them to bring basically what we saw in the Clone Wars series and actualize it. And it wasn't CG and it was a real human that we knew was underneath the makeup. And her lightsabers were so cool and white. She got two of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then we realized that she was in Men in Black 2 and uh... <laughs> she was in Clerks 2. She was in yeah. yeah. When she was in Men in Black, she was a young, young lass. It's been a long time. She's been around for a long time. But now she's she's Ooh. probably going to end up owning that role. Like That's going to be the thing that people are going yeah. to really remember her by. And a lot, of, a lot of young fans of Star Wars that are getting introduced to all these new pieces of media. And, and you know, they grew up with the prequels or they grew up after, you know, the mm. prequels came out. Um. I listened to some nerd podcasts and stuff like that. And one of them, they were interviewing the voice actress of Ahsoka Toa from her voice acting career, but they had a big portion talking just about that character. And she's like, oh, as far as I'm concerned, like when she shows up places, people are like, she is Ahsoka Toa. But yeah. now she's like, as far as I'm concerned, Rosario Dawson was the only person that could absolutely take that into live action, own it. And she's like, oh, totally. she's got my sign off. Like everything about it seems right. 
I'm excited for that series to happen. <laughs> Big fan. Big fan <laughs> of what's going on over there. I'm just not sure how... I don't want to talk a lot about it because I don't know how deep people have gotten into the Star Wars universe or the lore mm. and how much they're screwing with everybody back and forth by saying, like, what's lore, what's canon, what's not. They've made some decisions that toe the line and <laughs> are pissing off both sides. And with what her storyline could be, could, I don't know. Well, this, this is the thing with all of the the, the star based franchises, isn't it? Because it's the same thing. With, well, you've got you know war uh, wars and Trek and mm. Gate and all of the other kind of star based stuff, and it, it, every new bit of uh, media that comes out, everyone goes, oh, "You can't do that! That that breaks this thing, and that oh, that that can't be canon because of this." And so I'll just yeah. Doctor. I mean, Doctor Who's a classic for that as well. Yeah, yeah all the kind of little things that. I think particularly if you go back to the classic Doctor Who, where I don't think they were necessarily keeping track of things in perhaps the way <laughs> no, they did later no. on. Nothing was it's about like, people need yeah. to remember this for next year. Yeah. They forgot nerds happen. Well, and totally. I mean, did, did, did nerds exist when Doctor Who first came out? I mean, yeah, 60, 60 years ago, 59 this year, 60 years next year. Yeah, that's... I think people didn't have it, the same tools they did now. Well, no, they didn't. And, but yeah, get into the kind of you know, 80s, 70s and 80s, people start mm. doing that. And particularly when you kind of have these sort of franchises like Star Wars, the Star Trek going onto TV and yeah, as and, and cinema and you know, things like Blake Seven, Space 1999, Doctor Who, Hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they kind of yeah. This was just fuel for the nerds to kind of yeah, go. Oh, oh yeah, like this, and and to come out into the open and start collecting it and start collating things together mm-hmm. in a way that perhaps hadn't ever been done before. And then following these kind of sort of lines, going. I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be space based. Yeah, I can remember. It's, 12, 13 years old, reading a book about the, the, the life of James Bond that somebody put together based on all the James Bond books. And this was kind of, you know, still when it was only the Fleming books before the sort of John Gardner or anyone else sort of written any. And it was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, he was from Scotland, his mother was French, you know, all these sort of little bits of information. That, and it is yeah, a 180-page book. Yeah, just on kind of, you know, James Bond and all his travels and... Yeah, that wasn't even looking at the kind of the different character presentations based on different actors. Do you think there's just been more of a request, let's say, from from nerd culture that they want to be able to hold on to things longer or have the world build itself out? And maybe it didn't used to exist like that back then. Like people were a little bit more people were a little bit more okay with. Just this thing ran its course, or even something like Bond way back in the day. My my father mm-hmm. used to love watching all the old James Bond movies, but it didn't really matter that the person changed, right? Mm-hmm. But in the last decade, people have gone, oh, but we we can't have a person of color, and you can't make him a woman like that's not 007. And 
There's arguments from all sides about why you can, why you can't, why you shouldn't. Well, it's not the character. Okay, well, in the lore, and you're like, it gets so noisy with all of that stuff. And yeah, yeah, maybe we just call it simpler times 50 years ago where people didn't really was... care. But I feel like people really want to care about those things yeah, and let them breathe for longer than maybe it's the attention span of social media now. It's like, hey, can we please have something that lasts longer than two months? Well, I think as well, the like you said before about you, you craving new media. And I think the other the flip side to that is the folks who crave the comfort of old media. Mm hmm. And I think that there's that escapism to simpler times or good memories from the past or things that were good associations. So I think if you've got a franchise that, you know, you, you've got anchored to good memories within your, your very core of your being, and then someone says, oh, well, actually, you can have a little bit more of that. That kind of expands your bubble of what comfort is. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's an element of that, I'd say, as well. And I think... Yeah. Especially in the kind of the, the troubled times that we're you know sort of uh, seeing more and more of, I think there's more and more push for people to be able to escape into those things. Mm -hmm. That kind of the, the expanse of crap in the world versus the expanse of media that you can kind of escape into is mm -hmm. kind of uh, you know almost equally matched. I think. <laughs> yeah, I I find that to be just if you look at it from from a macro view you start to see the double edged sword of all of that where especially with the business of media making yeah you know here's more star wars stuff oh thank you i love star wars oh no i didn't like that one star wars you put out <laughs> and then you know it's like it's almost like watching M. Night Shyamalan at this point where you're like eh, maybe i watch every other one or maybe i watch every three like Andor is out right now. I haven't even started it yet because I mm -hmm. I didn't really like Boba Fett that much. I was never a huge Boba Fett fan, um, like some of the people that I knew that were Star Wars fans. But I was never really into Boba Fett. And then I thought what they did with that series it just didn't really do much for me. I've heard really yeah, good I, things I, about Andor. Yeah, I've heard quite a few people say that Andor's well worth watching. Um, I really wanted Solo to be good. <laughs> I did not like. Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't seen that either, or or the Book of Fett. You know the. the um, but again, I mean, the, I want to. I only want to watch that for Ming Na Wen because she's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and it's it's picking your battles, isn't it? You know, yeah, some, it really is. Too consumed. It really is. People that want reboots of things, and you know, we were talking about. Uh, Firefly and stuff earlier. Mm. The people that have pushed and pushed and pushed for years, like, let's get a Firefly reboot. Yeah. Guys, I don't really think you understand that, that there's a good chance that won't go well. <laughs> you know, there there is a, I would say there's a better chance of that kind of failing or being mm. mediocre rather than being successful. Well, it's never going to yeah. live up to the hype of the last 20 years of people building up what it could be. Exactly. And there's been fan fiction written about it. There's been multiple books and backstories and things that are, you know, people have built out this world of these these crew members and things. You know, Alan Tudyk, everybody's 20 years older. Have you yeah. seen what these guys look like now? Like, given basically all the women in that show are still 
mind-blowingly beautiful and still look like they haven't aged a day. But, mm. you know, Nathan Fillion's, he's <laughs> older and Alan Tudyk is not yeah. even a part of it anymore. So how do you, how do you build that, that world out and have it be accepted by the massive fandom that's been growing around it? And we lost Ron Glass as well, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that hurts too. Yeah, I I don't know the the reboot culture, the idea of like people pulling things out of nostalgia, and Al had a really good um, point that he made when we were kind of talking about this a couple months ago. But pulling things out of nostalgia, and only for the nostalgic reasons, so that you can go, hey, remember when you liked that thing, and you go, ah, you mm -hmm. get twenty seconds of a little dopamine rush or something from your childhood where you go, ah. I remember eating at a mall. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm watching Stranger Things season whatever where it takes place in the mall. And I'm, you know, I like Stranger Things. I like what they did with it. I remember watching that first season of it and having the I, I used to be an animator computer person. Um so the title sequence came in and I was like, "Oh my god, they nailed it. They nailed it. This is exactly an 80s, you know, John Carpenter film. Here it goes." Yeah. So I was so hyped on that first season, but then it's just, I feel like very regularly watching that show in its later seasons, it's just nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. Or they just keep mm. making decisions that are meant to tickle that little funny bone that we've all got of, remember that thing? Oh, remember when that one was the thing? Oh, there's an old advert for some company that doesn't exist anymore. But it doesn't actually do anything to push the story forward or have any character development added to the piece. So I I even, you know, I'm on both sides. I want more of that. But I also don't like when you give me the wrong thing that I want from that. So I know I'm a yeah, total I think that's the problem, though, isn't it? Is, is realizing that, you know, something like the first season of that, you were absolutely the target demographic. But then the second season of that, you're no longer the target demographic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that, that's something that I have to try and keep in mind whenever I'm sort of analyzing like my reaction to something. It's like, it, is this meant for me? You know, it's, it's the same way. You know, like you said before about you know the, the um, you know can Bond be not a white dude? You know, is that kind of uh, in all of these things? The answer is, is unequivocally yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> and you are just no longer the target demographic. Exactly. Right. Let someone there else was a, try. There was a lot of people getting pretty hyped, I myself included, when they were discussing putting Idris Elba in that role. Oh, I, I like, so there, there's your so gateway, and then just yeah. let it run from there. Because if you mm. put this this amazing black actor in this role to just change all this BS, you know, and people arguing, mm. then I feel like it opens a gateway into a lot more options from then on. Mm. And, you know, in the the world that we're living in with you know gender acceptance and you know lifestyle differentials and all that kind of stuff it's it's still kind of sickening to hear the people that are just so close-minded or are just so caught up in the old ways of things that i remember when the new bond came out and you know the female actress in there is like but i'm i'm 007 and people were like no you you can't do that it's ridiculous it was actually a joke within the movie it's all it's like they did it on purpose just to get a rise out of people and people still went crazy and then took it after the movie came out and we're like if this is what they're planning on doing i'm not going to watch this anymore like, okay <laughs> then don't 
I'm sorry Daniel Craig is not with us in this series anymore, but I love that, you know, Doctor Who got its resurgence and then started to really play with what does the idea of the Doctor mean? And yeah, they went, they went, you know, uh, I can't remember the first actor's name who came back in season nine. He's a pretty well-known British actor. He's been in some movies that I've seen, but then you get three tenants. Yes, the guy right before Tenet. McCann. There you go. No, no, McCann was the film, wasn't he? Uh, oh, crikey. I can't remember. Wait, wait, I, I was literally, because I've not done Doctor Who at all, but I was talking about this with Alan the other day. Yeah. Because uh, she's talking about um, Doctor Who. Yeah, there but they, they... It eventually Eccleston. got around. Eccleston. Yeah. They went... There you go, Eccleston. Got it. Thank you. To you guys and also Alex, yeah. Um, so they went through their their shift. You know, they got it back, and then they went tenant, and then they went Matt Smith, and then they went kind of old white guy again. But we nobody could get mad at the choice that they made because all great actors in their own right. And then when they went with Jodie Whittaker, a bunch of people, you know, raised a stink about it. And then now they're going to have the first young african-american actor in there great keep shifting like it it's now becoming the little subculture that really took over doctor who fandom has now grown and grown and grown and this it ebbs and flows like all of the other fandom and every other piece of media does but for the most part what they're showing is that this idea this character can be anything can be anyone doesn't have to be male doesn't have to be female doesn't have to be any color doesn't matter because the idea of the doctor is what's most important about the show. And I would love to see more of that taking over. doesn't have to be main characters or, or huge flagship brands, but shaking it up like that is only going to help everybody. It's going to give jobs to people that otherwise may not have ever had that opportunity. Um, and expand the pool of diversity that is going to bring in new, new aspects, it. new Points of I view, met new experiences. I met so many people. I went to a fancy dress party like six or seven years ago, dressed as Matt Smith's doctor. And I met so many people that night that I, I knew two people that were at this party. I met so many people that night that I would have never talked to just because they were Doctor Who fans. And then we just started talking about Doctor Who. And it was brilliant. I love being able to do something like that. And I know anybody it's ever been to a con because uh, most of us are nerdy enough, but if you've ever been to a con and you feel like you're the only person that really likes this one thing, you're dead wrong. Yeah, there are so many people. Gonna be like others. Yeah. So we're, we're planning to go to uh, MCM comic con at the NEC in Birmingham in nice. two weeks time. Woo! And Ron Perlman's going to be there. <gasps> you're going to talk like, to Ron Perlman. God, well, so this is the great. thing. I, so far, because uh, London Comic Con was this weekend, mm -hmm. so they'd announced on the run up to it, they'd announced like shitloads of people, um, just just list after list after list. And so far, they've only announced five people that are going to be at Birmingham: Ron Perlman, two WWE wrestlers, and two voice actors from anime. That's all they've announced so far. <laughs> who is it from? Who are the voice actors? 
uh oh, i can't remember I don't know about you guys i i watch enough animated stuff i've actually over the last few years i've gotten massively into following certain voice actors I will, um, i'll take them out but they the not massively well known from uh two of the people we're going with are, are anime fans and they were mm-hmm. like uh, uh okay. the ones we're hoping yeah. for okay okay <laughs> that's fine I heard John DiMaggio and his partner come out to Palm Springs, which is only like 45 minutes from me, that they travel out here from L.A. all the time and just like hang out in Palm Springs. It just makes me want to go to Palm Springs. I hate that place, really, to be honest. But I would love to just be walking around and then run into Bender and Jake the Dog and all of the other voices that I've ever heard him do growing up. Um. You know, Billy West, I feel like sitting down and having an hour talk with Billy West would probably just open your mind up to a completely different way of thinking. These are people who effectively acted <laughs> yes. behind the scenes forever for the majority of their career. And yeah. then they realized that there were fans that just wanted to know who they were. And they're like, wait, you actually just want to talk to me and not just have me do the voice that I do? I'm like, Yeah, because you're great. And you're the person behind that. And then I think John DiMaggio was the one that produced the I Know That Voice documentary that came out a couple years ago. Which if you haven't watched that, anybody that's here listening, I Know Mm -hmm. That Voice is very special. It's very, very special. You basically see all of the voice actors and actresses and peoples from stuff way back. They have... uh, the delightful old woman who used to voice Rocky the squirrel in Rocky and Bullwinkle. She's like 150 years old in the documentary and she's in there and she starts doing the voice and she's just this tiny little old lady and she starts doing the Rocky voice. It's just brilliant. That that was, you've just broken a thought for me there. And that was what I was trying to think of the other day. I was, I was uh, chatting with my wife and we were talking about, um, she was talking about something uh, that she'd seen that was, you know, from, from her youth. And I, I had Rocky and Bullwinkle in my head, but I couldn't remember what the hell it was called for the life of me. I just had this picture <laughs> in my head that was nothing I could describe to try and Google. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that's, that's, thank you. That's just uh, <laughs> brought it off, let him back. This is a, this is a little insight and this is, really just between red and I I won't give out any of the details of it or anything like that, but it's just a fun little thing that we do. If you happen to make friends with anybody about your fandom or nerddom, one thing that he and I discuss is that we both actually have like little black books, but instead of phone numbers and dates, they are movies or pieces of media and I've got like little descriptions written next to each one or like little ratings. I've changed my ratings like 15 times because I was like, star ratings don't work. One through 10 also doesn't work. I hate it. But for the better part of, well, it's been over a decade now. I went back. I went to, I found a Googled some list of like every movie that's ever been made. And I just sat and scrolled through and I was like, okay. And then, yeah, I saw that one. And I saw that one. And I saw that one. <laughs> And at some point, at some point in my future, I will. It's not like I'm looking to publish a book of like, here's all the movies I watched. But I would love to have that thing 
if I was wearing a suit jacket on a regular basis, just periodically in the middle of a conversation with somebody would be like, have you ever seen this thing? And I'm like, I can't remember. What's it about? Ooh, hold on. <laughs> Let me reference my note about it. Oh, there was a scene in there where the uh, boom mic was in the shot. Yeah, that was stupid. Because <laughs> I think at this point I've ingested so much stuff and I really do like watching new things. They don't have to be new as in produced now. I'm just anything that I can find. You you have seen before over the years, yeah. Um, Red gave me a few suggestions for some foreign films I had never seen. I had a friend in college that was uh, half Korean. He introduced me to uh, Old Boy. If you've ever seen Old Boy, that movie will mm. absolutely screw you up. Not the Josh Brolin one. Jesus, talk about reboots. They didn't need to do that. <laughs> They absolutely didn't need to do that. But he introduced me to a bunch of East Asian films that really started to boggle my mind because it was a completely different approach without the American business side being put on it. Mm -hmm. um, then some Middle Eastern films and stuff came after that. So I've just got this running little black book of nonsense that I've seen. I haven't done one for video games because I think they are slightly cost and platform prohibitive like if you don't have a playstation you can't just play playstation games um but i uh this little black book idea has now i've talked about it a couple of times in passing and i realized that it's i'm not gonna say it's the most unique thing but like nobody does this why would you write down every movie you've ever seen well so there is a like a um I think IMDb does it now anyway, but there is a an app that will let you do that kind of thing. Oh, of, there's uh, a of checklist? Like a, a checklist of movies, and you can add notes and stuff to them as well. And there's one for books. I mean, Goodreads. It yeah, exactly. The yeah, it's, it's the same, the equivalent. Um, a couple of friends of mine are, are working their way um, through the IMDb top 100 films. Oh, that, I mean, it's a, it's a very solid top 100 yeah. Weighted, a little weighted towards a couple of directors that I don't necessarily agree with, but top 100 <laughs> is a good place to just start knocking them out because at least you'll see why they're up there. Um, yeah, exactly. If you like that list, I had a friend of mine, he and I went through the majority of the Criterion collection while we were in college, at least up to mm -hmm. that point. So you knock out those top 100 on IMDb, a little bit more mass audience movie. Then you get into the Criterion stuff where you're like, how do we even find a copy of that? And we're like, well, you got to call somebody in Germany and they have to ship it to you. It's not going to have subtitles because it's German only. <laughs> so then you have to get a translation thing and then like run this app that'll translate it and you have to watch it on your computer through VP or not VPN, but VLC. V VLC yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> There are some restrictions to being able to watch those things and actually understand them. But the Criterion Collection is one that if you have the time and possibly the money to invest in, that's a that's an interesting list as well. Because did you know like every Wes Anderson movie is on that list in the Criterion Collection? Then, which are supposed to be like the collection of movies. But RoboCop's on there. And every Wes Anderson movie's in there. But RoboCop is a satire that no one realizes is a satire, so you can't actually bank that one. 
See, that's another one. Robocop's another one that messed me up as a kid that I think just kind of ruined me for a lot of like the Goldfest stuff. I think I yeah. perhaps saw it a little bit too young. Um, and, you know, just, it, just kind of like that and, you know, internet access just kind of, you know, took the edge off a lot of the stuff that horror movies and Goldfests are kind of playing on. Desensitized to, you know, seeing uh, the guy's hand being blown off at that point. You, know, cause oh, you, you saw yeah. it when you were in the, in the film when you were like ten or twelve or however old I was when I saw that. I think that's why, like Terminator and Terminator Two, are just more easily digestible for me. Yeah, because they're they're just as action rompy and crazy, but because they're it's a robot, they don't have to adhere to gore. Even when you see him, mm. you know. The famous bathroom scene and he's cutting his skin off or whatever. It's not as gory because you know he's a machine underneath that. Yeah. Like, oh, he's just getting rid of the stuff that's in the way. So it never yeah. came across as gory. It was just uh, like, oh, he's just being more efficient. And now you can see this cool <laughs> metallic piece underneath. Blowing somebody's, guy, somebody's hand off and showing it in slow motion or the man's skin falling off is... That was a bit much for me uh, when I was a young buck. I haven't revisited RoboCop since the Criterion Collection watching, but I don't think I need to again anytime soon. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, it's, it's all right. They'll, they'll reboot it again soon. They already did that a couple years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who was that with? Who did that? What actor did that? Somebody decent size did the RoboCop reboot. Uh... Army Hammer? Question mark. I don't know. I must have missed that. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. It's fine. Andy, don't even worry <laughs> about it. Just let it pass straight through your brain. I'm, I'm always wary of reboots, though. I mean, like Jimmy says, it's about, it's about the audience. I mean, the, the, the one for me, Hitchhikers. Yeah, I grew up on the book and the, the radio series and the TV series, particularly yeah. the TV series in the book. And then the film came out. Yeah, Martin Freeman, great actor. Love nearly all his work. But he's just not Arthur Dent to me. Wow. He's just, Arthur Dent is thinner, taller, dark haired. This doesn't fit, this doesn't fit the bill to me. And just so many of the other things that weren't quite right, you know, just because the, the mental images I have are based around having read the book dozens of times, having mm -hmm. watched the TV series not dozens of times, but multiple times. And so I've, I've got an entire world built on that in my head. This is so difficult. It doesn't fit. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, a perfect, it's a perfectly good film. It's a yeah. perfectly good film. Yeah. It just doesn't fit with my, my version of Hitchhikers that's in my head. So I've seen the movie more than I've seen the TV series, but I've read the books more than either. Um, but I still visualize reading the books like the movie. But it's the same, you know, with every crossover, though, isn't it? You know, the, the, the famous one with the Harry Potter stuff, you know, everyone other than, you know, the description of Snape being Alan Rickman and then the actor being Alan Rickman. You know, that's... <laughs> That matches perfectly, but none of the yeah. others do, you know. Right, right. 
Hitchhiker's Guide is very difficult for me, though, because I didn't get introduced to that until uh, maybe halfway through college. Mm -hmm. So I had no awareness that there was a TV show. I read the book and then I watched the movie and I was like, this is delightful. They left a ton of stuff out of the movie, but it was pretty delightful. I also hadn't been following Martin Freeman very much at the time. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the album black on both sides by most deaf. So I happen to be a huge fan of him because that album is great. Alan Rickman, who doesn't like him. I had no mental image of what Marvin looked like. And Zoe mm -hmm. Deschanel was the new manic pixie dream girl that everybody was talking about. So for me, yeah. the timing of when I saw that movie, movie, I was absolutely fine with the movie. And you, you tack on the fact that the actor, who played Zaphod, whose name is... Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Uh, I got to meet him when I were, uh, lived in Las Vegas, and he was a delightful character. Nice. He's, he's a very, very nice guy, and I just became kind of a big fan of him after that. Green Mile, you know, he was great in that. Mm. Um, I thought all parties were great. I also really appreciated the improbability drive and actually them doing, like, the pops and then you see the them, you know, like pulling stuff, yeah. string out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of that. The Vogons I thought were to take it back to our, the beginning of our conversation, they were just Montechuans, but ugly. Mm. Fifth element coming back, but Stephen Fry, this all made sense to me is what I'm saying. Like everything about that movie yeah. made sense to me. The visual Stephen the, Fry had to be the narrator. Had, yes. There was no one else. It could have. Yeah. And I he's mean, the only version that like, uh, uh, the, the very first Apple Mac sold in the UK was bought by Douglas Adams, and the second one was bought by Stephen Fry. They were very, <laughs> very, very close friends. Wow. Um, so there's such a huge close connection with Stephen Fry and Hitchhikers being a huge Douglas Adams, well, being, being a very close yeah. friend of his. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's but that, that was like where I, I've talked before about the, the, the movie because the time that that was around was because. Um, Douglas Adams was involved with the screenplay for the mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, because the, being such a huge, he was a, a massive, massive Apple fan. And the film has a really, really strong Apple aesthetic for that time period of like the IMAX and, yeah. you know, all that kind of like clean white lines. And yeah. it's all that. It's very, very how Douglas would have envisioned it, it at that time as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think now, if if he was still around, and if they if they did it in this sort of time period, it would all be you know uh, anodized aluminium, crisp edges, and that kind of thing. Because mm -hmm. that was that that was his aesthetic. That was the thing that he mm -hmm. he saw and he loved and he interacted with. It's just it it, it, it does fit. It does it does make sense when you, when yeah. you understand the, the context it, around. It. The differences and some of the script choices that they made or whatever, and it's not a hundred percent true to the book, but, yeah. I, mean, but like, I still truth, can't get over the amount of times. Things. Yeah. The amount of times I'll walk over to a door and just like try and do the handle or whatever, but it's locked from the other side. I'm like, hold on, hold on. Hold on. What is this? Yeah, this, yeah, this is nothing. We're going to die. And no one gets that, <laughs> but it's just a little dumb line that most deaf throws out there before they get ejected mm. and like i think i've said that maybe twice in my life 
that people have actually picked up on like was that a hitchhiker's guide reference but it means <laughs> is it a reference to the movie so they had to yeah. understand the movie and like it a lot yeah. it's another thing entirely where i can make an argument against the scene where uh you know there's that entire chapter talking about how arthur's trying to explain t to the computer mm -hmm. and that's why its guidance system goes offline mm -hmm. and in the movie they just make it look like the mice are doing something and so that yeah. whole buildup of why the computer is having so many problems and like it doesn't understand the concept of T and it adds more to the joke. And in the movie, they just 86 it and said the mice are going to be doing something on the circuit board. Mm. And you just get rid of that. And I love that that one little section of the book. I remember always being like, if there was one thing that I would put back in the movie, that would have to go back in there. Explaining the East India Tea Company. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Something resembling tea. Yeah, I. Well, it, so th this is where, while we're on that kind of Douglas Adams train, is um, the other franchise of his that was, I, I, for some reason, the name in my head and has just evaporated. Dirk Gently. Um, Dirk Gently, thank you. The TV shows, the, there's been two attempts at making a TV show for Dirk Gently. And they're both wonderful for two different reasons. But in, in my head, in 2010, I think, was uh, the British version of the Dirk Gently. And Stephen Mangan uh, played Dirk Gently. And he plays a really, really good Dirk. But then I don't think that Dirk in the modern one that they did for Netflix, I don't think he's as Dirk Gently as Dirk Gently is in the books. <laughs> but I, th I think all of the surrounding characters and all of the extra nods that they put in there mm -hmm. make it a far better Dirk Gently. Which one did I even see? Because I watched, I watched through one entirely. Did it yeah, have the Elijah one with Wood? Elijah Wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I saw. So 10 years before that was the, the British version of it. And they did... Um, like a pilot episode, and then they did kind of three follow-on episodes. It was like a second season, if you like. Mm -hmm. And it, just like with the books, because the books have have had this kind of um, mythos around them of not being able to count to three. You know, it, it was it was two books, and he was halfway through writing the third. Mm -hmm. And then with the TV show, they made the pilot, and then they made like a second series, and then it didn't get renewed. And then mm -hmm. same with. Um, the Elijah Wood one is they made two seasons, they had a plan for a third, and then it didn't happen. You know, there's this kind of like curse around Dirk Gently. But again, it's a fantastic one if you go back to it because it's 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 so very British and so what you would imagine um again of the time, you know, it was, it was ten years before, it wasn't CG, it was all really clogy and Dirk Gently ish, you know, it was mm -hmm. all yeah, it, it's just, uh, if you get a chance to watch it, it's fantastic. Well, I, I think this is why, just talking about Hitchhiker's Guide specifically, and Andy, I'm not trying to argue, because I have had many a conversation with people that were like, devout Douglas Adams, and I'm like, yes, I understand there are aspects of the movie that are just not good, or we can all agree that this part... Oh, it's it's a great film. I, it's a good it's film. Okay. It's okay. It's a good film. But the book is so but, good. The book is yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. And... There are just moments of the movie that really lack that Douglas Adams mm. panache that he had. Mm. And 
you know, but to offset it, I there are a couple of moments that were choices made by the production company or the editor where when the Vogons first land and everything goes down and then it does the pullout, dun, 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 and it just extends that buildup way longer than it needs to. Felt kind of like that dry sense of humor coming back, elevated by the music and the and the editing, of course. But it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, and then they were going to blow up the planet. And then it doesn't happen. It takes a 45-second buildup and even just one big wide shot that holds a little too long. And then yeah. poof. <laughs> and they never talk about it again. Like, that's the end of it, right? And then they just they move along to, oh, your world was destroyed and everything. But... Moments like that where it felt like they tried to lean into his version of comedy with mm-hmm. that that long build up to a kind of underwhelming h- hilarity, right? And you're like, oh, the, the payoff actually wasn't as big or extravagant as it seemed like it was going to be. But that's why it's funny is because it's actually very underwhelming. It, um, it, it's borderline dad jokes, isn't it? It's it's yeah. it's not going for the, the funny ha-ha laugh. It's going for that. Ugh. Kind of reaction. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I don't know. Everything Marvin delivers in the book, or even just you know having Alan Rickman actually voice that was what a brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Fun movie, but yeah, it, it all goes back to what we were talking about a half hour ago, where it's like it's a double-edged sword of wanting more getting something, yeah. maybe being unhappy with portions of it or all of it, or, you know, us as us as our little nerddom fan groups that we're in. It's kind of difficult to always want more of the thing that Jamie said. It's like the nostalgia, that thing that just warms your heart, your comfort space. Mm. Oh, I want more of that. Oh, I want so much more of that. And then you get it and... You've either created a new group of fans and and brought more people in or you've distanced that kind of thing. I mean, to be honest, I feel really bad for the people that get involved in those kind of situations that get just pushed into the business of making the media now. I feel like the Marvel Mm -hmm. thing is a really prime example of what it means to have a few of those shows come out before everything in the Avengers universe and the extended MCU stuff kicked in. You remember those first few Marvel shows that came out that like didn't quite hit something was wrong. You know, Daredevil came out kind of there towards the beginning and people were like, well, I I like the movies more and I kind of want to go see more Iron Man stuff. Okay. We'll, we'll give you more Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Here we go. He's going to be in 14 Mm -hmm. movies. Thor was like, Oh cool. Look at Chris Hemsworth. And we got Natalie Portman in this. Yeah, first movie's not great. Second movie is real not great situation. And then they kind of started started to find their footing again. And if anybody saw Love and Thunder, uh, the most recent one, it's very it's a line in the sand. Like you either liked it or you just went no. Yeah, (laughs) and that's strange for one of these Marvel movies. But if you don't like Taika Waititi, well, I mean, there's there's a severe problem right there. If, If Whoever doesn't like him, <laughs> you're not signing up for the sense of humor. And then She Hulk, She Hulk got some weird flack. I remember when people when that got out, people were like, "Really, they're going to spend money on the She Hulk show?" 
but I mean, again, I think that that's that's people not realizing that it's not for them. You know, that they're not the target demographic in that sense. It was the same yeah. with um, a, a couple of the recent ones because they've all been, you know, not just aimed at middle-aged, middle-class white dudes. Yeah, there's a, a little bit more of oh, diversity Black, in general. Black Widow got. Black Widow's got some real issues in its special effects. It's actually <laughs> they're on some special effects channels that I watch, like some guys that talk about special effects and they'll kind of do breakdowns of things. There's a few moments in the movie that are just really bad for the budget that it had. But it was nice that they dove into her backstory more, understanding a little bit more of why she was built the way that she was and how okay. she always make little hints at not being able to have kids. But let's not talk about that too much in the billion-dollar movie franchise that we've got going on, because people don't want to hear that, especially not from a female character. Like, let's not say she can't have babies with Bruce, because we have to think that they're going to be in a traditional relationship, even though he's a rape yeah. monster, <laughs> and everything's going to be fine. But we have to be able to pretend that they will have kids one day and they will be super kids. And you're like, no, you don't have to do that. But they really steered clear of talking about any of that stuff and they really actually invested in that in her film which was nice yeah um, I, I think they, they could have they could have done more for her as a character i think yes um, but i do think that they did at least do a step in the right direction but yeah. uh you know what what some people were expecting we'll just see who Either how long is it going to take or who's going to be the person that can step in and kind of own it? Because Robert Downey Jr. was such a good choice for Iron Man because he didn't actually have a film that was like definitively he was the reason that film was good. You had Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and, and some other uh, fun ones that he was in or he was a lead actor and he did a good job. But him owning... If you watch the original Iron Man movie, he is he's not just a dickhead. He's like the worst kind of person. He's yeah. a pretty bad guy. And then, he, yeah. you know, oh, heart of gold underneath it all. And we get the reveal of everything. But they really made him an unlikable asshole for the first two movies. Yeah. And he yeah. grew out of it. And somebody would have to do that to like really be able to step into a role where everybody's casting hate or everybody's going, oh, what a stupid character for them to spend money on her. I can't believe we have to hear about so-and-so's backstory from whatever. No one cares about it. It's going to be a woman. You know, it's going to be a, a female or the first like non-binary that they go and actually like they're going to put somebody androgynous in it and say, man or woman doesn't matter. And people are going to raise a stink about it. But whoever can own that and really drive it home. Say, I, th I think there's been... A few of those kind of uh, from various things, you know, like people like in the Eternals. Um, yeah, I think in you know in things like that, there, there was a lot of a, a lot of that got panned. Um, and it was a wonderful movie in its own right, you know. Yeah, it wasn't the same stuff that everyone was expecting, but for you know, looking at the actual the film itself and the actors involved, and mm -hmm. really, really good. Yeah, I think it's Harry Styles at the end. I think it's one of my favorite decisions that they made. In I'm a little like washy on on Doctor Strange and that series, just because it's 
again, it's so far beyond any kind of reality, which is yeah. his entire thing. Mm. Yeah. But it just gets like not only complex, but just now nah, none of the rules matter and none, nobody has consequences. You can just kind of shoot all that right off the table. But they make Tilda Swinton, who has played like the most boudoir female you've ever seen, but has also gender bent in movies before. And she's played mm -hmm. a little bit of the androgynous, even in Constantine. Michael yeah. the Archangel was meant to be this very androgynous creature, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Put Tilda Swinton in it. Constantine is also an amazing movie if well. no one's seen that. Yes, Constantine is phenomenal. Yes, But she is... As, as uh, is the TV series. There you go. But putting Tilda Swinton is in as, uh, you know, the character that he has to interact with and kind of learn his ways, whatever, that was an, I felt like that was a really good additive to, to what they had traditionally been doing, where guy has to learn from older guy or woman has to learn from older woman or something or other. I don't know. Maybe that's why Yoda always kind of worked because he inherently was just kind of like an old creepy man creature, but he was just a puppet at the end of the day. So he didn't feel super intimidated and that's what made him feel so much more. Let's not go into the CGI saber fight he had with Dooku, but you know, <laughs> Yoda was a good choice for a, for a mentor. I think Tilda Swinton being involved was a pretty cool choice. So uh, another actor who's I, I would say has, has got um, you know the, the ability to follow in Tilda Swinton's footsteps would be Samantha Morton, who was in Minority Report. Ooh, she's a, an, another actress who's. Uh, very good at playing a role that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, very good at that kind of. Well, I mean, the, the character in Minority Report, you know, being this uh, very um, unhinged, broken character, mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. the precognitive kind of creature, but, um, you know, phenomenal actor. You know, in that kind of same vein as Tilda Swinton. Did you guys like Minority Report? I like that movie. Yeah, I like that but movie. I, I'm a massive, I, I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan anyway. So, uh, okay. I mean, of course, it, like most of the book adaptations, it's very little of the actual original stories. <laughs> it's a very short story that they've yeah. turned into a throwaway movie. But. Yeah. Mm. But I, I still, it's a, one of my favorite Philip K. Dick books. Um, is Paycheck. <laughs> and that was turned into a film, which I still haven't plucked up the courage to watch because I'm not a, Matt uh, not a, a Ben Affleck fan. And he's the lead in it. And I'm just, it's that thing of being so invested in the story of the book. I don't want the film to ruin it. Mm -hmm. he, I feel like... Uh... That's got to be a, a an added degree of difficulty, kind of high on the list of added added difficulty. Is how do you appease the nerddom and find an actor, actress, person, anybody that can fill the shoes of what's been built up? It's like every time they've had a new Batman ever since Nolan, which, for God's sakes, please stop making them. George, just like give us a break, but. <laughs> 
I can't see Ben Affleck. I was never able to put Ben Affleck and Batman together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the new one they did with uh, the young lad that I can't remember his name. He was in Twilight. That was his yeah. thing. Um, uh, and he was Cedric. He was Cedric Diggory. He was. In movies. But um, he did great. That movie's just like, we just had too many at this point. And they went dark and it was great. The production value was great. It was four hours longer than it needed to be, but otherwise a decent movie. I just, this idea that you can build up a character, like we're almost going back to the Bond stuff now, you know, like who could yeah. fill the role or Ahsoka Toa. But when you have a piece of media that's never been Robert Pattinson, thank you. Um, when you have a piece of media that's never been actualized or realized, and these people are meant to pick somebody out of a crowd yeah. of, of actors that can fill this role. And what if they get it wrong? Like who's the, who's the uh, young Jack lad Richard. they got to play the yeah. flash that has just like completely gone oh, off the rails. Ezra Miller. There you go. They had a bunch of stuff lined up and projects and a movie I think is like already done, but they're maybe not going to put it out because of the flack that is mm. going on with that person. So, but, yeah. but they'll still they'll still release stuff from um, the other complete lunatic uh, in, in a similar vein of lunacy. Um, oh my god! I, I, absolutely He's useful. Words smart. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he's got a whole kind of cult around him. Um, that's gone. It, it's gone a little bit weird. Hmm. I. Can't, can't think of anybody name. right now. I don't know that Morbius. I... He did Morbius. Oh, Jared Leto. Yeah. 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 He's. Yeah, which is too bad because I always, I was more of a of an X Men fan growing up than I was Spider Man. Mm. Um, but I did like Morbius and some of Spider Man's character offshoot. I don't know. Bad guys turn good. Good guys turn bad. Type deal. Morbius yeah. was in that. He was in the cartoons in the 90s, and it was, he was a fun character. It's too bad they chose him. It's also too bad that he was in Blade Runner 2049, because I could have done without seeing his dumb face in that movie. Because I really wanted to just enjoy that for what it was, which was going to be like kind of a reboot. But like just, just show me some cool visuals. Give me some Ridley Scott nostalgia, and I'll feel okay about it. And they put Jared Leto in there. Hate him. Um, anyway... Let's not get on that soapbox about anti. Let's, let's change the subject slightly. Go for it. Is there a book that you would like to see made into a film that hasn't? Ooh. Oh boy. Oh boy. So maybe two. Maybe two off the top of my head. One, I would love to see somebody try and handle restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah. Even if it was like a mini series, yeah. just like give me a couple of smaller things. It doesn't have to be some giant property getting put out in a movie theater, but like somebody that could take a crack at what happens next, you know? Yeah. And, right. and maybe adhere more to the book. I think I would appreciate that. But um, I've been getting into a lot of audiobooks over the last couple of years. Um, some of them have been realized in some capacity uh in media but i think 
Oh gosh, you're gonna make me. So <laughs> I have to I have to step into this role as the double-edged sword of nerddom, right? Ready Player One is not the greatest story that's ever been written by any means. But it was a fun book. It was yeah. easy to read. Yeah. And they had Will Wheaton narrate the book in the audiobook, yeah. which is Will just Stolson. it's just nostalgia and and awesome all over the place. What Spielberg did with Ready Player One was awful. Like to so many different degrees. He changed so many things that didn't need to happen. He took away Dungeons and Dragons because it was too old of a property to make references to. He forced a love story between two of the characters, forced it in his film. And like the main character was a super creep. And anybody that acts like that should not ever get the girl at the end. It was horrifying. If you watch that movie compared to how the book built up all the relationships, there were real deaths in the book. There were consequences in that book. Yeah. And in the movie, it was a wash of how many people come here and notice the Easter eggs in the background. And also just like, give me a derivative story. We get it. It's about video games. It felt like St Steven Spielberg walked in and just went, what's going to sell tickets? Yeah. And then destroyed the story and rebuilt it into that thing. Used a lot of the same references and some of the visuals, but for the most part, terribly done. You want to talk about doing a reboot that I would actually like to see somebody do well? Show me Ready Player One. Wouldn't mind seeing it. Could be a fan flick. The last, the last one that I'll say is Project Hail Mary, which I know is going to be a yes. movie. Ooh, yeah. They're already working so, on it. But yeah. uh, Steve, Mr. Moonshine, um, told me to, to get that book. So I listened to the audio book. Same narrator yeah. as yeah. Uh, all, all of his other books. But... Man, what a fun story. What a fun yep. story. I'd like to see somebody be able to pull it off because, almost like The Martian, small set pieces. There's really not a lot going on in that movie. Yeah. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll see what they do with the last couple of chapters. But vignettes, couple of vignettes, small set pieces. You could get good actors for it. Budget wouldn't be outrageous. I, I don't know that they're even far enough along to have announced anybody, but... Yeah, uh, they, I hope they do a good job announce, on it. Uh, they did announce uh, the act, one of the actors. Really? Yes. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> okay. Apparently, I've I've contracted Steveism tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, What's the guy with the face? Ryan <laughs> yeah, Gosling. Exactly. That's the fellow. Ryan Gosling. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> is not who I pictured being the high school I, science I know, teacher, right? but what is Brian Gosling doing teaching? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Did they have to that's get somebody be a good, that good? That's going to be a good film. It's gonna be it good will film. be good. I you know what? He was great in Drive. I'll, I'll like him forever because he was great in Drive. And 2049, he was he did a pretty good job, all things considered. So, yeah, I, I have opinions. If you haven't picked up on what's that, <laughs> I'm hoping they do seven eaves at some point. 
and that would mm. be a really good one to, to do. But there's a, a fantastic book by um, an author called Rob Grant, who uh, people in the UK will know as one of the authors of, uh, or one of the writers of Red Dwarf. Um, but he did a book called Incompetence, which is kind of a, a, a phenomenal little silly story of uh, a, a set in a future where um, nobody can be discriminated against when they uh, go for a job interview for uh, anything at all. You know, it's kind of political correctness gone to the nth degree. So, you know, you, you can't be... Uh, you know, race or gender or age or anything like that, or mm. competence as this new kind of level of thing. So you you have people who d decide they want to be train drivers because they used to be nail technicians and they quite like trains. So they go for a job interview and they get the job and they become a train driver and no idea what the hell they're doing and go blasting through a station. And you know, um, a person like there's a the very start of the book he's uh he's investigating a murder and he he goes to this this building and you know there's an elevator that he's got to go to and someone says it's you know up on like the 13th floor or something and he opens the elevator up and there's like 35 buttons and he knows that there's only like 15 floors on the building you know and it's like nobody can do nobody's got the right job or the right training or anything it's just the whole world is is completely fall into pieces because nobody has competence anymore um and it, there's just loads of little wonderful nuggets of, of humor in there it's, you know it's proper douglas adams style very dry british humor that you know it's a, it's that kind of similar vein that would be really good as a movie what about you andy i've got two books in mind that i think would be good movies uh image by clive barker kind of sort of both both these are kind of sort of fantasy sort of sort of worlds mm -hmm. uh and the other is greg bear's uh essentially it's two books songs of earth and power they're both kind of just some great world building some great character building really good stories i think they'd be cracking films that's good they probably both need to be kind of yeah, three hour three hour films mm going to do justice in 90 minutes to the world that they both created uh, yeah definitely i have to look at that but I think, I, I think i think sometimes books i think sometimes books don't can never be made justice right by sort of films and things mm. uh i mean one of my favorite books of all time not it it's not fiction um is touching the void by joe simpson Mm -hmm, which is a tale mm -hmm. of two climbers going up a mountain in South America, having a bit of a bad time, and what happens following that. And the film was made, and you know, Joe Simpson was heavily involved in the film. Simon Yates, who's the other climber, was involved as well. And it's just, it, it's just a bit flat. Yeah, there's some great scenery, there's some great bits of action. Yeah, there's an accident. The accident is filmed yeah, really well. These kind of yeah, your pulse rate goes up, a bit of adrenaline. But the overall film is just flat compared to the book. The book, it's one of the again one of the few books I, I rarely read books twice. Mm -hmm. Some books I'll read twice, but never a third time. There are some books I've read dozens of times, like Hitchhikers, um, and and Touching the Void. It's, it's literally the copy I have, which I bought in 1988, is falling apart. 
because I've read it so many times. And it's it's just it's just complete. It, it just grabs your mind and, and you know the story is developing from it. And I don't think actually it could be made into a film. Mm-hmm. I think it is something you have to read. You have to put your own imagination into it. And I don't think mm-hmm. a film can ever do it justice because of the way you you, you can't you can't show thought. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of time where you know, Joe Simpson, particularly, he's he's in his own head, and you can't you can't put that into a film. I don't think. That sounds like it's definitely grabbing your attention. What a segue! So much better, <laughs> so much better than Steve's. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just uh, temporarily aware. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. So, so yeah. So yeah. Things that grab your attention. So yeah. So Brett, what's been? Uh, Things that have been grabbing your attention. It can be anything. It can be many things. It can be you know, any format. It can be something you're working on, something you've finished, something you're about to start, something mm-hmm. you've read. It's like, it's like a, like a fancy spiff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we don't, we don't, yeah, we don't limit it to th- sort of thinking about people or just, uh, well, not even spiffs do that anyway. But yeah, basically, what's been grabbing your attention lately? Uh, what has been grabbing my attention is I'm now working on two of the biggest fossil projects that I've done to date. I mean, we'll probably just continue ramping up from here, but sculptural art made out of metal. I'm trying to eat and digest as much of it as I can possibly find. um, Just to see how other people are going through the process of making these things, like what's fabricated, what's hammered, what's welded, what's, how are people solving weight problems when you actually need something to not be a thousand pounds because it has to get delivered somewhere. Right. But you want it made out of steel. Um, and so while I've been working on some of that, I'm also trying to find the aesthetic that I'm pushing for in these things. So yeah, I'm looking around at general, uh, backend fabrication, uh, videos and sites, but there's this show that is now just like, it's hitting the cord that I'm feeling for these projects right now. And it's called dark and it's on Netflix and it's German Mm. and tone vibe aesthetic, something about it. It's been for some reason, like the perfect thing to watch and listen to and check in on periodically when I've been in this mode of what do I want these pieces to look like. They're a little bit, I'm just going to say, like, as far as display pieces goes, I think they're going to have kind of a, not Geiger-esque, but they're just going to be a little bit more anatomical because of the pieces that I'm working for. One of them is a giant vertebrae and the other one is a tusk. But I want them to have an organic feel to them being made out of steel. And I'm getting into, like, this... Yeah, I was looking at Geiger things and then dark happened and I'm in this, like, German dark kind of sci-fi thriller something or other thing you have to watch the show if if you're into it but this show never heard of it had a friend suggested to me and now it's like taking over the tone that's in my brain right now and it's mm. fitting it's very fitting for what's going on so check out dark it's on netflix 
Um, I know yeah, some I've people seen, made decisions I've seen, against I've Netflix. Seen bits of, I've seen bits of it. My wife uh, sometimes watches because she's a linguist. Yeah. Uh, and so she will often watch things in French, German, or Swedish, which are three languages. Yeah. To, is, just to, to is... practice, just to, just to get the practice of listening to people. I think what's um, been the most healthy about this is just when I talk about wanting new stuff, it doesn't have to be produced now. I'm saying yeah. I need something different, something I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. And because foreign almost always delivers on that because it's not yeah. made in the same culture that I am. Like this was such a good suggestion from a friend of mine. And now I'm quite a few episodes in and just loving every minute of what spins it's taken because of course in my mind i'm like oh it's gonna be like this movie that i've seen nope <laughs> absolutely not gonna be like that stop trying to think you know where it's going oh and the title sequence anybody that does any animation or motion graphics just watch the title sequence of that show it's bonkers and it's fantastic and it's just you don't see stuff like that so just to see some new new stuff Something new. Yeah. Change your brain around a little bit. That's been it. Dark yeah. on Netflix. A, a few of our mutual friends have, have recommended that to me as well. Jamie, what about you? What's been grabbing your attention? Uh, recovery, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I finally, finally ended up with COVID a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, so it's just been kind of a bit of a bit of self care, a bit of getting back to reality and back to normal and back to good health and stuff um but then as, as a sneaky peek for the of the video viewers the the project that i've been chipping away at i've actually got articulating um, for a, a future plan project kind of thing um the, the the wings i've been putting together so that's very exciting yeah, that should be pretty cool. Oh, it's, it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. Baby steps. It's all about baby yeah, steps. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've got until March for the, the kind of the the deadline for it. So I've got time to, to yeah, gently you coerce got, you it got, into. You've got two or three months to procrastinate and then a month <laughs> to panic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Andy? Me, uh, not a huge amount. It's, uh, it's been school holidays uh, this last week, so it's kind of sort of meant a lot more sort of family time and things. Uh, we had a big sort out. Say we. I was not, I was kind of uh, not solo on this. Uh, cupboard up to my right, just hidden in the kind of corner of the the line. You can just see a line just beyond the books. There is kind of was our homeschool cupboard mostly. And hope we don't homeschool anymore because kids are all off to school or heading off to university next year. Uh, also, kind of a bit of a craft cupboard, and that's then kind of now being sorted and tidied. So it's now mostly bookbinding stuff. Uh, although there's also a set of drawers which people can't see to one side, which. Um, Uh, so it's got paper, so I'm not sure where that's going to end up. So, um, yeah. Okay, that's fair. I, I think we might think have we've... just finally lost Brett's battery. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's vanished. Oh, 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 he's back in. Yep, yeah, back in. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> 
that's all right. That's all right. Uh, so yeah, tidying the tidying the cupboard. Um, yeah, went and visited some relatives today, and uh, one of them's a an amazing. Uh, they're both great artists, but one's just an amazing ceramicist, and the house is just full of their work and other people's work, uh, and it's just nice. ah, it's just it was just like being in a, a ceramics museum, and we're talking kind of majority, we're talking art type ceramics as opposed to here's a mug um mm. but it's just, just some of it was just phenomenal um so that was that was kind of really nice relaxing afternoon had some had a nice lunch and just kind of chilling out with kind of arty type people it's just uh, it's <laughs> a nice way to spend a sunday nice, um, a nice yeah, little sunday it. yeah so that was it cool. brett if people happen to not know where to find you because I'd be very surprised, but if people are, are you know, listening to this and they're, they're I have no idea YouTube. who you are because we haven't yeah. done any sort of yeah because we don't we don't do the introduction bit. No, um, never. Where where can people find you if they really wanted to find you? Which I hope uh, they will if they don't. Stealing stuff from Malton Makes Workshop because he keeps posting toys that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, but social media wise, you can find yeah. me on YouTube dot com slash brett mcafee or pretty much anywhere if you just search skull and spade as that is my brand but youtube wouldn't give me that so skull and spade 13 <laughs> oh, on instagram no. search the googles for everything else or d- almost weekly on uh, the fools with tools podcast. fools with tools yeah. let's not let's not talk ill of my boys make sure we give well, them the shout out yeah we we wouldn't be here without them this is the wait. Who coined it? I think it was on two thirds, <laughs> but it, the no, full that was, extended that was, universe. That was, that was me. That was you guys. Yeah, yeah. Really? Because uh, from I, I got the Phil's with Till sign. That, yeah. Um, Philly Bob's from Dark Star. Yes, you did. So it's yeah. You, you guys get seen as we are, you know, offshoot from you guys. You're in shot every week. Fantastic. Yeah, I always appreciate that. And it is really nice to know where we all started and met each other and how we've continued this all forward. It always reminds me of what a good decision it was for me to quit what the hell I was doing so I could meet amazing folks like you and still be chatting years and years great. later. It's great. It's such a big community. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the other thing kind of you know, several of us are working on is the, the Fools of Tools trinket trade at the moment, which is kind of yeah, supplanting the for the for this year supplanting the kind of for christmas instead of the treasure trade which will be yeah. uh into the yeah. spring it's just it's yeah the uh, falls of tools we talked about on episode 40 it's, it, it's created a community within a community mm-hmm. uh which makes is, me happy yeah just fantastic plus it's better than all True. the other not that i'm teasing but I, i've started working on my trinket trade <gasps> Ooh. oh oh sneaky pete I kind I kind of know what I want to do, but also no, I, I I'm a bit stuck with kind of because though it's not supposed to be personalized, I kind of want to personalize it. I think we all want to. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so is it, I'm, I'm just I'm just a bit stuck because the personalization is just completely out of my wheelbase. Well, it, it was the whole idea, wasn't it? Is we we said let's yeah. take the pressure off everybody and not <laughs> so, make it a big stressful thing, and then we've all gone. Thank yeah, you. We really but... needed that, but we're going to put some pressure back on. <laughs> exactly. 
You can't help it. We're uh, all we're all gluttons for punishment when it comes to making cool stuff. We certainly are. And on that note, Brett, it's been I an think... absolute pleasure as always. Yeah. To hang out with you. Thank you guys Thank so much. You. Seriously, yeah. this was a brilliant way to spend the afternoon. Thank you again. No problem at all. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah. So we'll see everyone next week. Audio will be out tomorrow, hopefully, and we'll see everyone else next week. Uh, yeah. Bye for now. Bye.